Welcome to From the Vaults today on the show from 2014, episode number six of Turned Out of Punk, Stephen McDonald from the band Red Cross, from the band The Melvins, formerly of the band Off and the Tater Tots and, and others, a musical genius, a incredible, incredible producer, a unbelievable musician and a good friend, a, a really someone I really look up to. And people ask me all the time, what are the best episodes of Turn Out of Punk? And I will always say episode 101 with MVP and Zach Blair and this one. And having gone back and listened to this episode again, uh, yeah, this is definitely one of the most uh, harrowing episodes of Turn Out of Punk uh, I've ever gotten to do. Steven was incredibly open with me. We recorded this while we were both in New York for the Vice 20th anniversary party, which they threw, it, it was a wild party involving uh, everyone from Jonah Hill singing Drake songs with Spike Jones. I think Scarlett Johansson was there. Uh, it, it, was, it was wild. But anyway, Stephen and I did a hardcore band, which has been talked about on the show many times over the years. Uh, we're, well, we were part of a hardcore band, I should say, that played that day. And we recorded this episode in Steven's hotel room. Unfortunately, we went to check out the local greenery. I didn't hit save, and we lost the episode. And then we recorded it again the next night. And even though we're recording it a second time, there's, I don't know, it just feels pretty vibrant and real and just as harrowing the second time through when we re-recorded it. And it feels uh, much the same on the second time listening to it all these years later. Uh, so of course, as I said, Stephen McDonald is currently a member of the Mel- Melvins, or he's a member of the Melvins, I should say, and he is on tour right now. You can check out um, melvins.com for more dates or various places on social media to find out where they will be close to you. He is also a member of Red Cross, as I said off the top, and Red Cross has just reissued the absolutely classic Neurotica album on my, my label as well, or the label I'm on as well, Merge Records. Pick this thing up. It's an incredible reissue of a absolutely essential, essential record. Red Cross is one of the best bands of all time. There's no doubt about it. And because they start in the hardcore years and they go all the way to the present day, never put in a bad record. Every single one of their things is, is worth your time and should be probably part of your, uh, part of your collection in some form or another. Before you check out the episode, remember you can uh, pick up a t-shirt for this podcast over at turnedoutapunk.com. I play in a band called Fucked Up. We will be going on tour. Find out dates over at fuckedup.cc. And uh, I think that's it. Oh, tell all your friends about this podcast. Let them all know about it. All right, enough orders from me. This is, of course, to set up the return of Stephen McDonald to Turned Out of Punk, this time bringing his brother Jeff to the podcast that will be dropping in a few days. But in the meantime, here is Stephen McDonald on from the vaults. So you are straight edge. No. Well now I'm weed edge. Like, so when now, what does it mean? Like, so you were, you used to like drink a lot of, um, Molson's. No, I don't ever like, I don't ever like, I didn't, I don't think I ever drank. Oh shit. Let me actually, that up. 
I don't like. I don't think I ever drank. Like I didn't really drink that much ever. It was more. But like, you did. Yeah, I did when I was a kid. Like when I was four, I, I went straight at sixteen. Okay. Um, and because you were, and, and it's not because of Fugazi. In fact, you actively didn't like Fugazi, right? <laughs> I don't think I actively didn't like Fugazi. You didn't like da 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 It was like the music, but it was I was like a Minor Threat fan. Like that was the thing. Is like yeah yeah. I was like a hardcore traditional. So you were you were okay. You were a fan of Minor Threat. Yeah. But you're like I don't dig their politics. No, I like Minor Threat's politics. Or straight edge, straight edge politics, their social no. politics. No, I was straight edge. Like at sixteen, I didn't really know. I didn't really. I learned about them at sixteen, and then it's when I went straight edge. I was like, and that's I, why you went straight edge. Well, it was them. It was like a bunch of bands, but it was like because I just never liked. I. I think oh, I, let me ask you this. Yeah, I think I liked drugs, but I didn't understand it. Do you think that you were afraid of drugs and alcohol? No, and I, you didn't like the idea of being out of control of your faculties. And then you also learned that there was a movement involved with like an aggressive form of rock that actually connected the two, and you're like, that's me. I think it was more that I hated, I got to a point when I got into punk rock, and I'm like, and then, you know, punk rock was really cool when I was in, when I got into punk rock, like it was, I got into it just before like Green Day hit. So I was like, I had... So 92? Nine, no, it was like 94. I don't know. Yeah, so, like, so after, so grunge was like... Grunge, was, it, grunge was like limping. Was like, yeah, like I was... Grunge was, I was in trouble. I was aware of grunge, like mainstream grunge, because that was like our mainstream rock. Yeah, grunge had gone very mainstream, and like uh, In Utero was already out, and, yep. and it was already starting to like be um, a industry disappointment. Yep, yep. Um, but... History has, has shown us that it was actually maybe a, the, a great superior, the superior record, or a, a great record. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, but then there was a punk rock movement. There was an underground thing going on. Yeah, and then Green Day kind of came, and this Green Day, Offspring, and Rancid were like the big three, and I was just... And like the Holy Trinity. Yeah, and I was just out of the curve. Like, I knew just a little bit more than everyone I'm else I'm not being school. facetious. Or, no, I know. Or, or, no. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, I know, I know what you're like. You're, you're I'm, genuine. I'm, I'm, genuine. I'm, I'm, gen, I'm genuinely Watching. interested in all the different eras of experience of yeah. of growing up punk. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And like watching you today engaging with this stuff that to me is like canonical. But like, you know, I know and for what's, you. What's canon- did we talk like, about this last night? What is canonical? Con- con- I think we did mention it last night. Yeah, and uh, I think I said the same thing. What is canonical? <laughs> it's like, it's like a... You know, like it's like part of the the canon, part of the like the the, the canon. You know, like 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 waiting room by Fugazi is is a you canonical say, yeah, song. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. you know, like for me, like when someone brings up waiting room, like you know, for for even the other three dudes there today, like you know, you bring up waiting room, and immediately they're like they have all these relationships to yeah, that yeah, song. Yeah, that that means but, many things. Like yeah. for all you know, these people lost their virginity to, yeah, to exactly. that song. And, but but for you. You were already, you were like already the punk, you know. So your relationship to Fugazi was probably like oh, no, uh, you I, I were don't aware think I, of. I probably didn't hear that song until ten years ago. Yeah, like that's what I mean. Like, and I was my life was already very complicated, and yeah. it was already like, was it was already like nostalgia for for that mm-hmm, environment mm-hmm, by the time mm-hmm. I heard it, and or the by the time I, I acknowledged it. Yeah, like did you? Uh, well, why don't we start the thing? <laughs> Welcome to uh, round two. <laughs> uh, turned out a punk with Stephen McDonald. <laughs> round one is the ultimate rarity. Well, round one is, is it's so rare that I, I dare you to yeah. uncover it. If you're listening uh, and you build a time machine, no, no the only way now that there's a potential like like maybe the person that um, like services your computer could maybe find round one. <laughs> it's possible that it exists. That's true. In somewhere, somewhere buried in your hard drive or in that hard drive. 
Well, no, it's this. The, the file we're recording on now is the file that was erased last night. Oh, so we're making sure round one doesn't exist anymore. We're making at all. sure because I just like I just like well, it still might sad. be there, but I think That's it was good. like it was such an amazing conversation. It needed to evaporate. It needed to evaporate, and yeah. now we need to do. It was too beautiful. It couldn't exist on this plane. Too pretty. Too pretty. <laughs> it couldn't exist on this. <laughs> so yeah. now here we are. Uh, a lot more tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, no, wait, and so just to fill people in, so it's oh, I'll fill totally in. cryptic I'll, and weird. I'll fill in the intro. Don't okay. worry, I do, I do my wraparound. So. Okay. Oh, yeah, as we established last night, <laughs> Stephen has never heard an episode of Turned Out a Pump. Uh, I, I will soon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've, I've when your one drops. I've been heavily into iPod. No, I mean, listen. I, podcasting. If you, have a, if you have a kid, all you have to do is say, kid. And like it, it, it that's your, like, you don't you have, have to. You have two. Yeah, but like. Like, you don't, like, have, like, you don't even really have to be here right now. Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm here because Lauren was, my wife was uh, gracious saint, enough right? yeah, to let saint. me come down here Saintly. and have, you know, like we're coming from, well, we'll fill people in it's on like this. It's like these saints, all that religion stuff, like doesn't really exist. Like what the real ones are, are people like your wife. Yep. Who are willing to sacrifice themselves on a daily basis to allow something as um, so I could be take ludicrous part. as this moment well, can happen. Well, like I'm sitting in that practice space and I'm th- uh, thinking about Lauren. She's dealing with the, you know, the kids. You got, were thinking about that. I noticed you a couple times. Yeah, well, I was like, he's going somewhere else. That's cool. Well, because and kids, you were so you were going to. Well, because I was thinking about the. Well, I was I was still there, but I was thinking yeah, about but I mean, it. No, I'm, I'm sensitive no, that way. Like I could see, like, no, no. oh, he's he's in his head. Yeah, but I was in my head, but I was like in my head thinking about the situation I was in because yeah. I'm thinking about Lauren calling me, being like, "Oh, the kids!" Like one of the kids threw this wooden thing and gave the other kid a giant goose egg. Like my two right. children were like right. battling. She's dealing with that. Right, right. And I'm sitting here thinking. No, no. Would she be I'm asking? Watching, would she be asking for like advice or? I think it's just more. Or she just like or just to fill you in, like just to fill me in into vent into like. And okay. she was asking for advice. Because she she needed a reciprocal for cut. like for that piece of information. Yeah, well, like just to like you know to tell him like he had a maybe he has a concussion. Okay, so she's so, looking for she's looking for a partner advice, some, some yeah, advice exactly. a, a you know sounding like, a you know sounding board. Like. Yeah, exactly, and so. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking about her dealing with this situation yeah. as I'm watching John Joseph and Stephen McDonald to play Black Flag songs. Yeah, well, John Joseph actually like 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 working the band, like like telling us, okay, you're gonna turn down. Okay, we're gonna start from the top, and you're not playing fast enough. Well, you you now are are like I guess we're all which I which I, I agreed with him 100 percent. We respected are kind of his like opinion. Semi Cro-Mags now in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are very. What's one step below? Cro-Mags. I, I don't know. In but the evolutionary scale. I would scale. say that we're Cro-Mag adjacent. Yeah, Cro-Mag adjacent now. We're definitely Cro-Mag adjacent. That was like, that, I, I was having like, I'm just sitting there, I feel, I feel really lucky because I don't think I ever lost that excitement that I had as a 14-year-old kid who would have been exploding in this moment watching that's great. this that Good yeah. for you. Oh, no, no that's for you. Anyway, but... They, you should be the next Rick Rubin of hardcore or punk rock or something because from what I understand, yeah. that's why he gets the big bucks is because he's able to tap in to his inner 14-year-old. Well, he's also... <laughs> and like he makes decisions. Yeah. Like, like he's the guy who gets paid a lot because he's in the room and everyone's like, so what do the 14-year-olds think? He's like... And feels it. He's like, do it again. Wow, really? Wow, well, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, like you like also kind of a cynical retelling. Well, because he's like, here's why I'd also have something. Common. But but I do believe that you were in touch with your inner fourteen year old mm-hmm. tonight. Yep, and you know, you your energy. Okay, 
Not to leave Ruben though. Before we leave Ruben, I want to tell you why I'd get along <laughs> we with him. We should talk about Ruben. The first two Def Jam records, punk records. Hose 7-inch and the Hose LP. And those are Rick Rubin's it's actual his band. band. Yeah, and, and it's like flipper worship. Well, what, what instrument does he play? Guitar. Those, he plays guitar. And he... Because and oh, right, he, he played guitar like Fight yeah, for Your Right to yeah, Party yeah. and stuff like that. And, no, no, and no. they were like kind of New York hardcore meets flipper. Yeah. Like, I say New York yeah, hardcore, New yeah, York yeah. noise rock. And then, but also, he owned a wrestling company, Smoky Mountain Wrestling with Jim Cornette. Wait, wait, what do you mean? Rick Rubin owned Rick a Rubin. Rick Rubin. But a huge I, thought, wrestling I thought the Def Jam came out of like his, um, like he was in college or yeah, something. Yeah, he was it? in Hose in college and then he met Russell. How can he own a wrestling company? When he didn't own a wrestling company until much he's later. A college kid. He owned a wrestling company. No, he didn't. He was uh, like a college, uh, like Doogie Howser of the Wrestling World. Uh, Come on, okay. Hey, so this is like post license to ill yeah. and all yeah. that. Yeah, stuff. no, no. I think it's pre license to ill, but no, no, it's post license to ill. You can't own a rep. You, yeah, you no. can't own a wrestling. Well, he left. He left university with millions of dollars, right? Like that's the story. Like they yeah, he got I don't that. Know. He's I got really this, don't know. I, I he got I, like a five hundred thousand dollar royalty check in college or something. It's like it's this crazy story. Nats from Beastie Boys. Yeah, Beastie Boys, and he didn't he do stuff for. He did a couple other things too, right? Probably. Well, and I guess they were Def Jam was putting out other artists too before that, and he. You know, I guess was doing songs with the Beastie Boys. But Def Jam was his own label. He's running out of his door. Him and Russell, like Russell, he meets Russell Simmons. And, and was Russell Simmons also a college student, a fellow I think, college student? I think student? he went to NYU and they met as a college student. I don't know how. I mean, he got introduced. But they to weren't him. they weren't dorm roommates. I don't, think they, I don't think they were roommates, but they did meet in college. Right. I know that's the story. I haven't read the in a while, but like Whoa. Rick Rubin, uh, you know, does all this stuff, and then he eventually buys a wrestling company, sets up a wrestling company with Jim Cornette. But now was that? But that was later than Cindy Lauper. Um, yeah, that's after that's post rock and wrestling. Which is Lou Albano, Lou Albano, Hulk Hogan, Cindy yeah. Lauper stuff. That's post that. <laughs> it, but it's pre ninety. It's like nine. It's like it's I guess pre grunge. It was it's pre, pre grunge. It's like early nineties. Is it? Oh, so it's grunge. Grun yeah, it's grunge adjacent. It's pre. Yeah, grunge adjacent. Grunge adjacent. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, Stephen, uh, we're already 10 minutes in. I still haven't asked that first question that's going to start this whole thing, buddy. And, and now you're going to have to retell all these amazing stories from yesterday. Wait, 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 what do you mean retell? Uh, no, you don't have to retell them. But I mean like... But no, no, I'm asking you. Wait, we still haven't explained. Well, I'm going to explain in the preamble. It's oh, been so explained. I'm not there for it? I no. Know, I want to be around for it. Okay, we can talk about what happened. But now it's going to be redundant because <laughs> I've explained it in the intro. Because we have to explain uh, okay. why you and me took so long to get into it is because we've both been avoiding getting into this because we've done it all last night. <laughs> so, Steven, how'd you get into punk? Right. That's, and that's, that, that's the juxtaposition. That's how we started. That, yeah, and, that's, and that's your show, right? That's my show. That's the question. Uh, normally, I get to that are within the feel, first 30 seconds. Are and, you familiar <laughs> with... Um, an L.A. Um, video show from the early 80s called New Wave Theater. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And do you know what his, the, 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 the question he had? I've seen it, but I can't remember what his question was. It was like he had, he had one question, yeah. Peter Ivers, this, um, the host of New Wave Theater, and his question was, would have been like this, would have been, Damien Abraham, what is the meaning of life? Oh, and I would say... WWR Weed Wrestling Records. That would be a pretty good answer. Well, that would have been an '80s punk, so that would have been cool. Well, but the thing is, like, yeah, well, okay. Because now I'd have to say, uh, it's actually F W W R Family Wrestling. 
Um, yeah, family number one. Family number one. But okay, but so okay, right? So we're born. We're okay. Did, but before so, we, before we leave New Way Theater, did 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 uh, Red Cross play on that ever? Yeah, twice. Yeah, that's what twice. I thought. Twice. Yeah, twice. And um, I remember one time we did it with songs that didn't have lyrics, and we made lyrics up, up on, on the spot. spot. Yeah, that's awesome. It's pretty cool on right? TV. It's decent. Well, on public well, access. It's TV. Probably more people watch. I mean, to a 14-year-old, it was TV. I want to bet public access at that point was pulling in greater numbers than a lot of network stations do it in 2014. Yeah, nowadays. <laughs> you know? It might be true. You were like Hills popular back then. Uh, well. The Hills, I mean. Um, yeah, right. MTV's so, The Hills starring Lauren. Yeah, the, yeah, the Hills. The Hills. I've seen an episode. So wait, what was the question again? <laughs> How did you get that punk? No, no, it was, you played on New Wave Theater. We no, 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 no. The question is, no, the, the, the juxtap of your show Yeah, I is, told you it. Wait, what's the question? How'd you get into punk? How'd you get into punk? No. How did you get into punk? And I thought the question is... Turned Out a Punk is the name of the show. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it's crazy. You wouldn't think you've done this before. No, it's okay. Now, I, now I've had more time to ruminate on, the, on this... No, I know, I on know. This, on this... Um, also, yeah, I want to say I, the, the Stabia, one thing I do want to say. Arabia, I mean, <laughs> Damien th- Arabia. Have you thought of changing your name to Damien Arabia? <laughs> that's, that's my punk name when I'm in New Wave Theater. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a billion dollar idea I'm giving to you for free. Damien Arabia. <laughs> Seems like it goes down a weird path right away. But I've had time to r- ruminate on, on you know the, what you're doing. Before you do this thing, okay. I want to say one thing I did want to say on the air because I'm going to say in the preamble. Yeah. You've always been one of my favorite people to see, you know, and we've talked about this before. I mean, I'm like, in person. In person. Like, just like, like oh, when I see, like, oh, Steve is here. Amazing. Here. Okay. You know, just like, it's just like a comforting kind of thing. After you willing to do this again, having been through what we went through last night. Which was a positive experience. I'm going to put you in that saint category that I put my wife in. Really? <laughs> yeah, I really do. Like, I really... And then you moved in. Wait, just for the listeners. And then you moved in for, like, a little eye like, contact. I thought you were going to kiss. I moved in, like... <laughs> I, I, thought, I, thought you were, I thought you were doing it, too. Okay? <laughs> but, you know no. What? But, uh, <coughs> Damien, okay, well, you know what? I accept that compliment um, humbly. Well, there, and, I, I, I very I, much do. I, I can tell you, you know, I, hey... Um, when when I I was very um, you you invited me into your um, vaporizer pen. Yep. After our talk. Our talk. And um, so by the time you texted me last night, this to you know with like tears in your thumbs. Yeah. You know like oh it didn't <laughs> Fuck that. It didn't work oh no and I was like very like in another on another plane, um, but I thought you know what I really like Damien Aww. and like. Damien, for me, it's like the idea that Damien wants to like know more about me. That's like, that's 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 not bad news. Well, thank you, Stephen. It's fine. For, thank you, man, for doing turned out a punk. That's all I need. Yeah, uh, there you <laughs> go. There you go. I mean, like maybe in you know, in a perfect world, we would have spread that out. Like this would yeah. this, this would have been like a, a year later. Catch up. Yeah, but I, you know what? I'm glad that we have. This tonight because there's a lot of stuff you brought up last night that I wanted to be kind of fresh with. I'm well, glad I'm fresh. Well, the other thing is that I think that's interesting about you and I is that we both have five year olds, mm-hmm. so we're both new fathers, and our lives are very, um, I think, overwhelmed mm-hmm. is a key mm-hmm. word Absolutely. probably for both of oh, us. Oh yeah, so constantly. So the idea that we get to connect on mm-hmm. a deeper level two nights in a row. Yep. 
Like that's a privilege. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And it's, it, there's no reason to like not um, enjoy it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Appreciate it for what it is. Well, okay. In that in mind, how'd you get into punk? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How did I get into punk? Okay. Well, yeah. And then here's where all my stock drops. Okay. So, it's not my. I can't take credit for it. But no. What do you mean you can't take credit for it? Well, you're gonna say your brother, right? Yeah. But that's you take credit for that. Like everyone gets into punk, like. Gets into it somehow. Yeah, 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 via something. Yeah, like, via like something. you pick up yeah. a magazine. Well, actually, yeah, yeah. But as for my brother, it would have been like, oh, well, I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why I was into it, but I was interested in this. Mm -hmm. And then with me, it was like, well, an older brother who had a, a huge influence on me. Yeah, but like, I, there's tons of like, yeah. older an older kid who had a huge influence on someone. Well, you're an older brother too, so you're also yeah. being like, which I've learned in the last 24 hours, We've known this before, but we, I was reminded. So you're also coming from a very empathetic place. Like, no, you know, it's like, look, look, kid brothers. It's it's it, it's still very it's 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 legitimate. It's legitimate. Stop trying to write it off. Yeah, because I think it is legitimate. Like, I got into it because I met a kid named Nick who was a skateboarder that told me to buy 1991 the year Punk broke the movie, and that's how right. I got into it. But that's it was still Dave Markey. It's a Dave Markey. Yeah, original. absolutely. Yeah, and he someone I grew up with. And I yeah, we'll talk about Dave uh, Markey in a sec because I wanted to ask you questions about him for this thing too. But but um yeah. But that was like but that kid I looked up to this kid even though he was my age he was so cool he wrote a skateboard he wrote graffiti he yeah. like was into punk he was just like he dressed way cooler than I did like he was just like so awesome and so it's like you know it's like Nick. Nick, I can't remember his last name. I tried calling him one time after because I went. I was a counselor with him, a counselor in training in summer camp, and I tried calling him, and he just never called me back. Mm. He was that much cooler than me. <laughs> <laughs> but so your brother got you into punk. What, do you remember like what? Yeah. Do you remember your first exposure? Like what he showed you that was like this is punk. I don't know. I mean, I, th I feel like my first exposure I had. Well, that was the Ramones. I think I was exposed to the Ramones before the Sex Pistols. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't remember exactly, but a, like Patty, I was uh, I saw the Patty Smith Easter tour when I was a child. Who took you to that? Your parents? I, my my brother, my 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 brother, my mom took my brother to the Santa Monica Civic, um, which is not a very big venue. Mm -hmm. It's like a three thousand seat venue um, in Santa Monica, California, and took Jeff to the Santa Monica Civic to wait in line to get tickets for a Patty Smith concert in like nineteen seventy seven. I guess. Wow. Yeah, and um, just that was interesting. And um, at any rate, so Patti Smith and the Ramones and Blondie were all things I was really into. And then um, it eventually led to knowing about Rodney Bingenheimer, mm -hmm. who was a DJ in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And um, Is that where you would have heard the Pistols in the class? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, and the Pistols I probably would have heard sometime in the interim, sometime around mm -hmm. that time. But that's Rodney is really where I heard what was going on in my hometown, Los Angeles. Okay. And that's where I heard all the the records, mostly, uh, most of them uh, released on Danger House Records, mm -hmm. which is a small indie label in Los Angeles. And amazing, like, the run yeah, of yeah, stuff yeah. they put out is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's on a, for kids, you know, young fans of Damien's, uh, if you have a Spotify Young account. fans of Steven, too. Well, like, yeah. I know, but like... You're talking like you're like ancient. You're like playing off, I, you know? It's like a, yeah, but I mean... a contemporary band. No, but I mean, you have... A, I, I trust that you probably have a younger following than anybody... Um, you're saying uh, you have to be a child to like my band? 
What's that? Yeah, yeah, because you guys have like very childlike <laughs> qualities, and um, I do. I'm bald like a baby. <laughs> No, but uh, at any rate, no. I mean, I, I, since we're thinking rock and roll, that's like some yeah. sort of like compliment or something. Yeah, that's yeah, bizarre. I know. I know, I know, I because, know. I, because we all know the kids don't have shit, and that but the youth is wasted on the young, right? <laughs> but <laughs> so I don't know why there's any kind of premium attached to that. But uh, the idea being that uh, oh, I was just going to say that I know that those records exist on Spotify nowadays, yeah, yeah. and other streaming services. Um, via Frontier Records, actually, mm -hmm. but um, the the Danger House catalog was very uh, it was instrumental to my um, musical education when I was around eleven to thirteen, the, and, and and that was like bands like uh, the first X single, uh, the Weirdos, the Avengers from San Francisco, um, Rhino Thirty Nine from L.A. We talked about Rhino yep. Thirty Nine a bit. Um, the Alley Cats, who I'm actually sort of related to, a member of the Alley Cats. Who are the Alley Cats are you related to? Um, Diane Chai, the bass player. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The exotic uh, half Japanese. Yeah. No, well, Asian American um, bass player who actually, we never talked about this last night. She was very influential to the band um, Descendants. Really? Like, like things like, um, uh, well, now I've got that. Because of our performance tomorrow, I have that. Darn Fugazi baseline in my head. I can't. I can't yeah. take it out of my head. But what was that? The, what's that? Descendants baseline. The first baseline on the top of uh, Miley goes to college. What is oh. that? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All that's ready. Almost that ready. is the Alley Cats. My favorite Alley Cat. That too much junk. Too, too much junk. junk. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's Diane. That's Diane Chai. Yeah. So my cousin, um, Carrie McDonald. Carrie's like probably five years younger than me, four years okay. younger than me. Her, her aunt was the singer of Too Much Junk. Oh, yeah. Diane Chai. What, so did you know, like, were you like, that's a the weird craziest relation thing, to me? That, well, the weirdest thing was like, well, I had my, my cousin Carrie, who yeah. I knew was uh, half Japanese-American, and uh, her father is my dad's brother, mm -hmm. Patty McDonald, Irish-American. <laughs> Patty, Patty McDonald, Patty McDonald, <laughs> Pat, Uncle Pat, but I think everyone called him Patty. Um, at any rate, um, so uh, which is very Canadian. I know that the Canadians like they sort of you're sort of George Washington as a McDonald. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, no. The you, your equivalent to our George Washington oh, is a McDonald, John McDonald, John, Johnny McDonald, John yeah. MacDonald. Yeah, but isn't that the first? Yeah, the, we, we have the like, first like, prime minister, like, or yeah, our president, yeah. or whatever. Prime minister. We have like we have like. Um, like a real, you know, obviously being a colonial country, yeah. there's like a, a huge history of sort of like Irish, Scottish, and, yeah. and British immigration. And then, of course... And I just know that your first prime minister was... was How you, oh, you know Mike Ken. What's that? Well, yeah. Did you, did you know? In some way or another. <laughs> I don't know. You know so it was Ronald. Ron, yeah, exactly. And that's why I feel a special um, connection because like that was, you know, it's a growing up in pop popular culture, American 70s yeah. culture, yeah. like that was, um, that was a difficult name to grow up with. Yeah, I bet. Because everyone would be like, oh, Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald. So you, like, did you hate McDonald's growing up? Well, no. Well, my nickname, I was a large kid. I know that you've shrunk a lot yeah, recently, but I, I, but I relate to you also on that level, Damien, because I was a... I wasn't like a round child. I was larger than the average husky. child. I was husky. husky. Yeah, oh, yeah my, my, my mother shopped for me in the husky, husky. department. I, I, I was at the tail end of when 
someone, some humane human being was finally like, why are we calling kids for fat kids husky? That's so cruel. And that was so, I, but I did get to experience buying husky pants. I, okay, so I would have been a husky kid. Yeah. And, um, and so the, nick, the nickname that I had in kindergarten was um, Big Mac. Oh, kids are so fucking That's mean. okay. It's okay. But um, that's a big digression. So yeah. from the Alley Cats to Big Mac. But um, it's just an interesting like footnote to my punk yeah, rock really childhood. I had no, I had no idea. Which was that, uh, so my dad's the oldest of like six or seven um and his younger siblings were um, like almost like hippies or something. They're not much older than me, mm-hmm. the youngest ones. And um, when I was growing up, and um, and so I remember my my grandma had told me um, I brought that up for a reason. Anyways, I just remember my grandma saying um, when we got into punk rock, we were like kind of embarrassed when we go up to. Uh, holidays up there because mm-hmm. like the younger they have like this you know like they're probably like you know the younger aunts and uncles were like into like traffic and or you know they're into rock and roll but it was like California sound yeah and like eagles, Eagle, and, eagles. yeah and like feathered hair and like James Taylor yeah 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 and it was like you know it was the kind of music that uh, punk rock was reacting to mm-hmm. and uh, it, but at any rate um I just remember my grandma at one point saying, "Oh, you guys like punk rock?" Like, <laughs> yeah, and and she was like, uh, "You know, Carrie's aunt is a punker." I'm like, really? My cousin Carrie, like my cousin Carrie, was probably like six at this yeah. time. She's a really cute little kid. kid yeah. And uh, Carrie's aunt, and then and also I think Carrie's half um, Japanese American or whatever, and. Uh, and then looking in Slash Magazine, we were getting Slash Magazine and um, and finding a picture of the Alley Cats and there was this Asian-American woman playing bass guitar and singing her guts out. <laughs> like, that's I guess what? that's Carrie's That's my like, kid. That's Carrie's aunt. What do you know? And, um, and so anyway, so we started going to Alley Cats shows and uh, they were really sweet to us and they were like, wow, what a trip. You guys are into this. And, uh, and, uh, and and I and I remember that's something we bonded with the descendants on early on in my experience was that they were huge Alley Cats fans and we were both Alley Cats fans. Alley Cats were on Dangerous Records yeah. and Diane had a very very specific kind of style. She played with her fingers and um, just really kind of precise playing and very melodic yeah. fingers playing and um, but she also sang. Um, and I just and I know that the descendants kind of like really kind of fixated on that, mm-hmm. and a lot of their um, still I just saw them recently off played with them recently, and um, I know that what Carl's doing nowadays is very much um, extension. Part, yeah, it's yeah. extension of Bill's obsession with what we both dug back in the, those days. Yeah, and it just happened to be sort of my kin through marriage. So you're, where, where were you going to buy these Dangerous House singles? Where What's you going, that? What, what record stores were you going to pick up the Dangerous House? Singles? Okay, so that's my brother again. He would he would ride his um, cheap Italian um, moped. Yeah, it's like a knockoff of a Peugeot. Uh, to uh, he'd go to um, 
Licorice pie, probably. No, 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 no. Licorice pizza. Licorice pizza, sorry. But, but, but licorice, licorice pie is a record store in Australia, in Melbourne. That's awesome. Is it awesome. Really licorice pie? Yeah. Okay, so licorice pizza is what yeah, we that's right. in the States. I'm um, an idiot. Uh, you go to Rhino. Rhino. Rhino in um, Westwood. Mm-hmm. Rhino, which later turned into Rhino Records, mm-hmm. and uh, but they had a shop in Westwood, and and they put out the um, and they also put out records. Mm-hmm. They put out the um, Sa- Saturday Night Pogo yep. comp. Was that like the? That's an early, early comp, right? Simple it's a really early comp. Like, it's uh, who? Are the Simple Tones on that? Maybe the Dills are on it. I know yeah. for sure the Dills are on it, and the Berlin Brats, who later turned into the Mau Mau's. Okay. And then there's a lot of new wave stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but Saturday Night Pogo and it was a it was a um, a, a spoof on Sa- Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Fever, yeah, Fever yeah. which was like the bane of my existence at that point in my life. So did you hate disco? Were you like I hated disco? Yes, yeah. I really hated. It. I resented it, and um, it was what all the kids, the sort of mainstream, popular, normal kids were into. What was into? Like, what were the other kids your age into? Or did you just like not relate to those kids at all? Well, I mean, I did. I mean, like, well, I mean, like, I, like. My life, this is such an extension of last night because this is stuff we didn't cover. Yeah. Um, so one of, the, one of the moments I would say my life changed, mm-hmm. I, my elementary school experience was a positive one. Uh, I was even kind of like a well, I was a well-liked kid mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And um, I was on the, uh, the uh, what they call it, the student council. Okay. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I got voted. Which pres- is like the pop- ultimate mark of a popularity contest. Yeah, in I guess. Again, yeah. like I, I got like voted yeah. by my peers, peers yeah. to go represent for the fifth graders at the student council mm-hmm. um, A&R meeting each week. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it was like I got to learn what a boardroom was like when I was n- nine years old. Because I was... Uh, and hammering out policy for the school. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know what? We should have locks on the stalls in the bathroom. <laughs> I remember that was actually an agenda. That's you know, good. You we bet. didn't have locks. The doors were just like there. And, and I mean, you know, as a child, you yeah, know, you know, you had to, you know, you had to defecate. Yeah. In school. So you guys were an but effective council. But you need, but you needed privacy. Yeah. But the school, from whatever, like maybe from the '60s, maybe kids were smoking pot in, uh, in those bathrooms in the '60s. So by the '70s, they no longer had locks. So like, what changed then after like you so grade six or like eleven? Okay, yeah, yeah. So what happened was um, okay. So I don't know about what happened with the locks with the. Well, I'm sure you guys got the locks. Uh, maybe. Otherwise, I, I no one helped, should go to that school. I might have helped them. I might have helped them make that happen for the kids of Juan D. Anza Elementary School in the Weisburn District of Los Angeles, but um. Uh, Everyone every day locks the Stephen McDonald bathroom lock on stall number one. Yeah, there a actually, there's a plaque. There's a little plaque there's with my name. <laughs> yeah, the dedication. Fought hard. There's a dedication. Yeah, the dedication for your defecation, Stephen <laughs> yeah. McDonald. Well, no, we, we were your 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 anxiety free defecation. Yeah, exactly. Which I would be very happy. Have. Yeah, right. Come on, come on. I, I you know, you were thinking. For I that. fought for that. Boom. Yeah, I fought Psh. for that. Yeah. <laughs> we did an exploding fist that doesn't come up on the radio. Yeah, it doesn't translate, but um. The day, so in L.A., you don't have snow days. Mm-hmm. You have rain days. We also have smog alerts where they would send kids home for, because it was the air, the air quality was so bad, at least in the 70s. Uh, but when it would rain, like in L.A., there's like um, around this time of year, it will like almost be like monsoon season. It will rain for weeks on end mm-hmm. sometimes. Now they call it El Nino. Uh, but I remember... 
it was raining so heavily that uh, that you, you couldn't go out for lunch, and um, and so the teachers would invite kids to bring records to school, yeah. and during lunch we had to just listen to records and um, and have it in class, and um, and all the kids would bring like the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, have like disco dancing yeah. parties, and I brought the first Dickies EP the. Uh, the ten inch, you're so hideous. Yeah. And um, but the uh, you drive me ape and paranoid. They're covering yeah, paranoid. Yeah, the paranoid. And um, and I remember playing that in class, and people were just like really like <laughs> not down for it, and like like the dickies. Like, you know, and I was like, I, I just loved it so much. I thought, like, for surely, like, everyone's yeah. going to hear what I'm Why hearing. Why can't they get it? Like, you're going to hear what I'm hearing. Yeah. Like, I know you're going to hear it. It's like, eh, it's different than, like, you know, whatever. Like, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Whatever, like, Casey and the Sunshine Band. But but believe me. It's awesome. You're going to love it. Yeah. And um, the the white 10-inch Dickie. That's what they call it. It's a yeah. white 10-inch yeah. vinyl. And, um, yeah. So that was the first time in my elementary school where kids were like, whoa, okay, note to self, Steve's a little weird. Yeah. Like, okay, like, oh, we still accept him. He's cool. He's a little weird. Whoa. And uh, and it was fine, but it wasn't until I got to junior high school and it was like a bad trip. And we kind of talked about that last night a little bit. But um, Well, that's not forgotten. Well, we can rehash that a little bit. Today. Well, I just said what happened in junior high was that like in the interim between sixth grade and seventh grade, I Red Cross actually got active as a band and we started to, um, we met Black Flag, who mm. were just starting. We went and um, auditioned to be their friends at the the um the church the abandoned church in um in Hermosa Beach and uh, we went and watched them rehearse they handed us their guitars after the rehearsal like okay kids let's see what you can do and we played um our set which mm. had like Annette's got the hits and um we're a cover band like songs you might know of early Red Cross but then we also did um, a punk rock cover of I, the Beatles I Want to Hold Your Hand and um, New York Dolls who are the mystery girls and um, they were like oh you guys are cool you need to change your name from the from the tourist to Red Cross which like, they didn't actually have the name for us at that moment <laughs> but we figured it out and uh and they made us um, fire a drummer, 13-year-old um, John Stilo, which is terrible. It's terrible. What Did he ever do, did he go on and do anything else music? No, but we're Facebook friends now. Um, he might have, like, been in a new wave band in the 80s, but he kind of, like, he was a normal kid, you know? Like, but the thing is, we fired him, and then we eventually rehired him a couple yeah. of years later. He played on the Born Innocent album. And um, that's just a whole other story. But um, he, uh, but at any rate, uh, it's interesting because Black Flag, in some ways, um, were sort of like um, they kind of discovered us, and they were kind of like ain't what you would say nowadays in a modern context was like they a and art us. Yeah. Like they kind of like developed us a little bit. They had some like very career defining advice for us had you were you still in the fold when you guys signed to posh boy in the end yeah 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 yeah. i mean yeah yeah but i think it it, it ultimately kind of like uh it might have been the beginning of the end the of end. our relationship with that environment because um we were suddenly on easy we were these suburban kids they were suddenly on easy street yeah you know it's like oh yeah they play one show 
And we played one show opening for Black Flag, and Robbie Fields of Posh Boy wanted to sign us. Um, but we had some catchy fucking tunes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was 11 or 12, you know? And um, so there was like, you know, market. there's yeah. marketability yeah. there. Like, this is, um, this is something that uh, any um, person with two brain cells to rub together could um, see marketing potential. And so we talked last night. Like, so, you know, how long was it until Mad Society showed up with their 12-year-old? A couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah, maybe a year and a half. I don't know, but, like... Um, I have this fantasy of you hating, like, the two yeah, kids well, of the I, well, I think I think he had the same name as me, too, but they called him... Uh, I think it was, like, Stevie or something. Little uh, Stevie. I'm trying to remember. I have that 7-inch, but I haven't looked at it for a while. Okay, can we pause? I have to take a piss. Okay, sure, let's pause. <laughs> Yes, I remember Mad Society. Yeah, with the um, the you know the the amazing Stevie, ten uh, year old, nine year old, eleven year old. I know he was much smaller than me. Yeah, I was always larger for my age. So he got a lot of oomph out of his age because he was average. Size. Well, they like also if you look at that record, they're all like pointing to him on the yeah. cover, like look at the little kid. And he had a mohawk. And he had a mohawk. All uh. Darby crash. And I think he was also doing. And I think like Darby was doing. He was doing but the Adam had, Ant. Yeah, yeah. We had some like we some Adam Ant like yeah. kind of like uh, war paint. Yeah. And that was that was a, a a big moment I remember in Los Angeles when Darby Crash went to London. Yeah. And Rodney used to talk to him. Like probably from one of those red payphone booths in yeah. London. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, it's happening. Like, amazing, Rodney. I mean, Rodney like, amazing, Darby Crash in London. What's happening? And he'd be like, oh, you know, it's all happening, Rodney. I don't know. You know, whatever. <laughs> Give me a beer. And then, um, but he came back and the whole the, the thing was that he was really into Adam and the Ants. Well, actually, before we get to this point in the germs, I guess, what, like, where did you first see the germs? What was your first exposure to them? I believe I played with the germs, but I, but I, before even that, I, I don't remember exactly which was the first germ yeah. show I saw, but I saw germs, sort of classic GI era. So it wasn't like Belinda Carlisle? No, or no, no, no. I, I missed those. I, di- I didn't see when Belinda played drums yeah. for them. I've heard that record. It's awesome. Yeah. Where she introduces them and says she quit the band because they were all sluts. <laughs> I quit because they're sluts. But, uh, um, yeah, and uh, but the, but the Go Go's I saw a lot and very yeah. early versions of them and um, at the same clubs that I saw and played with the Germs, and um, so the Germs like you like were they the band for you as a kid? Like yeah, I was but flagged... they, they were kind of like the band in Los Angeles. Period. Like you know, and like uh, you know, there were bands like X, which I loved, yeah. and, the, and the Weirdos, and these were like serious musicians and people that kind of had existed in another kind of genre probably like prior to almost prior yeah. to like they probably like you know people that have been very into like you know glitter rock mm-hmm. or they were art students or mm-hmm. something and um, but the germs were probably not that much older than me and they were snotting as teenagers and they were but they were um, deep into a heavy scene yeah it seemed like they were much more progressed than I was and um and there was a lot of uh, mysticism. I mean, uh, mystique. Yeah. You know, a lot of mystique. Probably mysticism too. But um, 
I think they did grow up um, going to Scientology mm-hmm. schools. Yeah, it was apparently so. like Beverly Hills High was like a Scientology. Beverly, well, did they go, they no, they went to uni. Uni, that's it. Uni, sorry. which was, um, uni is a uh, public school, uh, but, but actually has a pretty rich rock and roll history. I know that Kim Fowley went to uni high. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law went to uni high. He produced Randy Newman records, so he actually is a rock a rock person. You're not just throwing him in there. For yeah, I'm not. <laughs> although, um, yeah, but it's funny to say that. But that, uh, uh, but but I think they also maybe had gone to elementary schools or something that were like hippie weird schools. Yes, I and I know that thing, later yeah. just from knowing Pat. But um, the germs were dangerous um, and punk. And the closest thing I was ever going to get to, like, my version of Mick and Keith, mm-hmm. Pat and Darby, you know, like, except for they were, instead of in an arena, like, 100 yards away, they were in the same backstage area as me. And they were just, like, in their weird little social world, deep in it. And I was, like, you know, frozen adolescent. Yeah. Completely enamored with their um, what I saw as like total utter uh, charisma. Yeah. So like, you know, obviously we talked about this last night. And I don't, you know, I just think it's such a, like an interesting story to hear. Like, so Darby when he passed away, mm. was like actually well okay first when he comes back from England, you, were you at that Darby Crash Band show that last? I, I, I saw a bunch of Darby Crash. I probably saw at least three or four Darby Crash Band shows, and um, those were sad affairs because the Germs went from being like the most popular band, and then within a year's time, like all the kids would just go to the shows and have and just spit at Darby. And um, as where the shows, the Germ shows always ended in total shambles and disarray, and like they wouldn't end, they would just fall apart. Yeah. yeah, but. Um, that was always kind of like the thing, but then at some point that stopped being like cool to the audience, mm-hmm. I guess. And uh, and the kids were spitting at them. Because I can't remember. The few kids that showed up were spitting. Yeah. I can't remember if it's in the Germs book or somewhere else where it's portrayed as there's this one Darby Crash Band show, which was like the beacon of what could have been for Darby if he had been able to keep going. I don't know if it's just like, you know, People put, making a legend out of okay, and something. so and when what was about that show? What I don't was, know. It was like a, was, apparently the last show that he played, and it was like he played it like the last show he was ever going to play. I don't know if that's. I wish I could. I wish I. I wish I could remember. You know, I mean, I I went to a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. I went to them, and uh, I remember they were like not well attended. Yeah, and not and the shows. I I enjoyed them like I like the Germ show, but also. Lorna wasn't in the band mm-hmm. anymore. It was that guy Rob? Um, I forget his last name, but I think like later it's speculated he was Darby's boyfriend or whatever. And um, and then also different. They had a different drummer. They didn't have Don either. Mm-hmm. They, they had a different rhythm section. Well, because didn't he kick? Well, at least they talk in the movie that he kicked Don out because of Vox Pop. I guess is that Which what happens. Is, yeah, but Vox Pop's awesome. Vox Pop is awesome. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. In fact, well, you know, they 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 had a different drummer, another guy named Don, who is actually married to um, an original L.A. punk rock chick, Mary Rat, who I was in a band with when I was a little kid called Ella and the Blacks, which oh. is this really kind of... Did you guys do a record? Ella and the Blacks probably did a record. I have a picture of Ella and the Blacks. I'll show it to you. But um, 
Ella and the Blacks, the thing that's really imp like kind of amazing about Ella and the Blacks is that um, we were... Um, my friend um, Ella Black, yeah, she was obsessed with um, Sugar Hill Gang in 1979 when there was still like it's just an underground cult thing. Yeah, and we covered Rapper's Delight. Really? I, learned, I learned how to play Rapper's Delight when I was 12 on bass. Did you guys record? Did you guys record? And we all had like. African American names. It was like actually kind of it. You could a little sketchy now. You could say it'd be yeah sketchy like maybe <laughs> a little racist. So like Ella Black and then uh, she was the lead singer. Aretha. I can't remember what Aretha's last name was, but we all had these names. Des Kadena was in it. His name was Tyrone. Whoa. So it was a little sketchy. Yeah. Definitely sketchy. Yeah, Des. You of course were like thirteen though, yeah, so it's a different. I was twelve. My name. Yeah. Was, my name was Roman. Because we knew a black kid that would um, skate at the same pool as us in Lenox, California. This kid named Roman. I don't know. You know, like, I, I I wasn't being. We weren't being racist, but it was definitely. We it wasn't like. It was. Well, just, it was born out of a love of American black yeah, culture. Yeah, but it's, it's it's just like that sort of like. It's just like shit. White that, kids not yeah, really yeah. getting how it's racist. And, yeah, 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 and yeah, also yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was innocent, but. Um, but at any rate, um, but there was deep love for yeah. um, like things like Sugar Hill Gang and I, um, the name sounds so familiar. But it's just reading about it. But yeah, I have a picture of our first photo session. I want to show you because I think you'll appreciate. So did you, you guys must record it then? If you guys are doing well, photo. we might have, but um, I, I I might I think I left. I got too busy at some point and then I, I left the band. But um, um, but uh, wait, where were we? It's not the phone. The photo's not going to show up on the show. No, I know, but I want to show you because I just think it's so cool. <laughs> I want to. I oh, here see we go. It. Here we go. I want to see it. So here we He's are. Showing. Okay, so the picture of Ellen the Blacks at the Hawthorne Whoa, Mall, nineteen seventy-nine. Look at you. I was yeah. We're at the Hawthorne Mall. Look at look at look at the guy near her with the curlers. Yeah. And that's Mary Rat right there. So Mary Rat was sort of like Sue Catwoman of the L.A. scene. Okay, like, Mary Rat. Mary Rat's like a... In, and that's who married the other drummer of the Germs. Yeah, she married Dawn. The second she, she, The second Dawn. And that's, and that's, you know, and that's, um, of course, that's, uh, that's Descadina right there. Yeah. And Ella. So when... Ella Black. So then... Uh, you know, like June. Oh, here's another picture. Well, anyways, <laughs> sorry. So, no, and I'm laughing now, but I'm going into some like the serious topics. Uh, did you? So, do you remember when Darby passed away? Was that like a? Yeah. Okay. So we talked about this last night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How do I um, put this? So you can tell this. Just tell the story again. Okay. Like I won't interrupt you because <laughs> it is like the craziest fucking story. We don't have to tell the whole story. Look, the, the story's so. The story is interesting. I think it's the really, story. Look, the, look. It's my personal story. If you don't want to tell it, I don't want you to tell no, it. No, it's fine. I'm not saying that you're being cheap with my story. I'm just saying that um, it, it is it is like one of the like biggest things that's ever happened in my life. Yeah. And it happened when I was 12. Yeah. And so, it, but at some point, and maybe it's because I'm a child of popular culture or something, I've always thought that like it has some kind of like, there's a greatness to the story that mm -hmm. I don't know how to tell it in a great way. I don't know. I think the greatness, because I, I, I really feel, you know, and now we're hinting around the story. Yeah. but It's I, only going to be like totally let down. No, but I, I really feel like, I don't know, like the story of Red Cross to me was like, 
like awakening and loss of innocence. Like this is just like a, well, our first a kid album is called Born, Born Innocent. Innocent. I know, but like just like everything about it, like the the you know like just the fact that you guys were so young and relating to American pop culture, but like through the paradigm that was punk rock at the time. Like I just think, and now you know the story, which is very serious ultimately. But I just think it it goes. It just weirdly fits into the narrative that was Red Cross, Red Cross creatively. Maybe well, it's as a result well, of this of course experience. it fits into it. It was our life. Yeah, I but mean, I mean, was... like, that's what I'm saying. But, like, I mean, like, I don't know, like, I'm, I, now I'm fucking it up trying to No, 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 it, no I, I was really listening to it. I was trying to learn from you, actually. Well, you I, 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 I just I, think, you, like, I like the way you talk. You and... know, it just comes up, like, it just seems like in talking to you, just your, like, sensitivity about things. Like, it just... You know, like you're everyone's shaped by their experiences. You think I'm overly so, sensitive? I don't think you're. No, I just think you're you're very compassionate and you're very empathetic and like an empathy that is probably born from experience in in something like this. Like you know, like just like. Why well, you know what I, you know you know what I'd say about that, Damien? It, it takes one to know one. Oh, buddy, we're just putting each other over. But like, I really do feel <laughs> like that. I've really always felt like, you know, you do have like a lot of empathy, and I think. And obviously, I didn't know the story at all till yesterday. Okay, well, okay, okay, now we need to move on. Okay, so this is the story. Uh, so you asked me what I thought about the, the death of Darby Crash. Yeah. It was devastating to me when it happened. And then the extra level of devastation, like, it's also kind of narcissistic, too, you know? It, it was that um, at the time, I mean, it seems narcissistic when I think about it, because it was like, of course... Um, you know, somehow Darby died because of my sense. I don't think that's, no, I don't think that's narcissistic. <laughs> I think that's like someone putting a mind fuck on you. It was a mind fuck, for so, sure. So and, here, and, and so that So was, this is the story. So like around that time I had gotten involved um, like uh, romantically, like personally with um, a, a person that was like friends with my whole group of friends. But, you know, she was, it was a woman that was like, uh, you know, mentally unstable, and she was, uh, it kind of became my secret girlfriend when I was 12, and she was from about 24, 23, and, uh, uh, and at any rate, uh, in, t in relationship to the Derby Crash thing, um, she'd always sort of tell me that she had, like, there was this like struggle, internal struggle for her because she was kind of like leaving this person to be with me that I didn't know who it was. Yeah. And it, then um, when Darby died, she revealed to me that um, that that other person is indeed Darby. There were other little hints that yeah. like led me to believe that that was who she was talking about. Like who, of course, was my hero yeah. at the time. Yeah. And <laughs> and of course, like you know. For people that don't know, you know, the speculation has always been that Darby was actually probably gay. Yeah, right. And, that these... and I mean, and I think they probably knew each other for sure yeah, too. Yeah. And maybe, and she, like I said, like she was unbalanced. Was like, she one of those people that they always talk about that were like the the Darby, not groupies because that implies a sexual thing, but like the Darby caretaker women. That sure, would always be I mean, around I'm them? sure they had like they had some kind of relationship, yeah. and I mean, it was probably one sided. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but um, at any rate. Um, when Darby died, uh, she was very she was a very emotional person. But then she um, she basically led me to believe or told me that um, that you know that that happened because of our relationship, which that, is yeah. that the, it was he took his life out of like despair over us. Yeah. Um, 
And like as a 12 year old dealing with the loss of your hero and then having this put on you by an adult. You're a fucking child. Yeah, yeah, it's intense. Why well, you? I think I feel like you really empathize. I really with do because I just, I just, I don't know. I just think like because on many levels you, you, you are um, an empathetic person. You care about people's feelings, but I also think that you're, you're obsessive about rock and roll. Yeah, and you also really identify with that little twelve-year-old worshiping yeah. Darby Crash. Because yeah. I, I just, you know, like you put yourself into it, and I'm just thinking. How would have I reacted in that situation? Like, I, of course, did not lose my virginity till I was 20. Um, and so, you know. Which is so cool. And not, well, yeah, exactly. I like, I wasn't molested by an child. adult. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you know. It's really cool. Not to imply that you lost your virginity because it's like there's so much other shit going on in that situation. Like, to imply that it's like a, a normal I, thing. You know, like, it, like, at 20, it was a normal thing for me to have sex. But at, at 12, it's, it's a different thing. I guess. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't. Want, I don't want to put anything on you. Like, let you tell your story. No, no, no. But I mean, at any rate. So, uh, yeah. But I, I think I know where you're going. I mean, I, look, I appreciate uh, where you're coming mm-hmm. from, and uh, so you know, and so this was an intense time. It was uh, December. Is that December eighty or is that seventy nine? I don't know. It's the same day Elvis Elvis dies the next day, so it's like is no, it, it was John Lennon. John Lennon dies. The next John day. Lennon yeah, that's right. dies, and I think it's is uh, it eighty? Now we're like now I we're think getting, it might be eighty. Beatles fans are gonna be so pissed. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, so at any rate, it's December, and uh, and my parents had just recently found out that my in quotes I'm doing yeah, the fingers right now. Girlfriend. My best friend oh. is actually someone that I'm having a re- romantic relationship with, and they know this by like reading my school books or my my work. They started snooping. I've been journaling, and uh, and they tell me I have to stop seeing her. You know, and they finally step in and go like, you know, look, we've been really liberal and cool, but like, no, that's mm-hmm. that's going too far. And um, they've been good parents, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so I try to break it off with her, and you know, Darby died for us, and and then uh, it's like, oh fuck, okay, right, you're right, we we, we can't break up, and she's got me reading 1984, yeah. and like, Diamond Dogs is our album, and it's all about 1984, this like futuristic world where love's and loud, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Really, like a lot of mind control going on, and uh, yeah, tons of yeah, it's pretty intense. And uh, at any rate, so she develops this plan with her mother and her mother's boyfriend to move to Las Vegas, and I would run away from home. And um, he's gonna, and her mother's boyfriend is gonna pick me up on my way to school, seventh grade, walking to school, seventh grade, in the morning time, and I walk to school a different way. That day, I was like, I can't do this. Fuck this. I yeah. can't do this. And then, and I see her at a show at the Hong Kong Cafe that night or that weekend. She's totally distraught because I didn't show up. And then she tells me that she's pregnant and she's going to have my child if I don't go with her. And I finally, like, go, give in and go, okay, I'll, I'll go. Um, so thus you're taken, and so that's kidnapped. When I, yeah, so, that, so that's the moment where I'm, like, kidnapped. So I was kidnapped when I was 13 or 12 or whatever whatever age that would have been. That would have made me. I was born in May 67. So 
any obsessive people. You can do the math, figure out when John Lennon died. And so did the Patty Hearst, like, obsession, like the Patty Hearst references <laughs> and all that stuff, did that come after? Well, actually, well, it's funny because while I was gone, I was going gone, I was gone for three months yeah. and, um, and, uh, you know, it was supposed to be that I ran away or whatever, but my, my brother, you know... They, Did your brother know, by the way? They, well, he believed my girlfriend at first that, because the whole thing was that I left, her mother's boyfriend drove me to a, um, a trailer where I lived by myself for a week in Kingman, Arizona. This is like so on the border great. of Nevada, and so he took you across two state lines. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and uh, uh, and while they kind of covered their tracks and pretended like they were surprised, and yeah, like, and then all of a sudden they picked up and left. So once they picked up and left, then that's my brother's like, ah, oh, they're lying. What the fuck? And uh, but you know it was whatever. And uh, oh, I know, but anyway, so yeah, a lot of. Disruption, and this is around the Christmas of that year. Yeah. So this uh, the Christmas happened over this time. So you were gone for Christmas. This happened, yeah, like like Darby died in December. Yeah. And then all I know is that Christmas I was in Las Vegas. Did you had Christmas by yourself in the trailer. No, I think Christmas. No, I was with them by okay, Christmas. Okay. I had sometime mid December. I was in a trailer in Kingman, Arizona, with an AM radio, and I do remember that the. Um, the Gaucho record by Steely Dan had just come out, and I was hearing that a lot on the limited radio stations I had. So that would you would just get up every day? I was just in this like trailer. It was like a yeah. Like, what would you do every day for like by yourself as a twelve year old? I I remember I could smoke as much as I wanted. Oh, yeah. the, the guy bought me like cartons of cigarettes and whatever food I wanted which was like I was a picky eater so like I really kind of chose nothing like blue diamond almonds yeah okay so I lived off of like almonds and smokes cigarettes um, and I found a couple of penthouse it seems like actually a 12 year old's fantasy yeah it was kind of okay and then the AM radio you know but I was also like experiencing intense oh, yeah. homesickness oh yeah I can... and just like very disturbing Experience, but the, but it's here like Babylon girlfriend or whatever. But it's a couple. There's a couple of Steely Dan songs that, that kind just of like take you back. Yeah, like whoa, that's because they're already really icy cold music yeah. anyway. So it's not really a, my thing anyways. Yeah. But, but here it's like whoa, that really brings me to this weird detached moment of my emotional psyche. It's terrifying how like certain sensual. Sensual, yeah, like not sexual, memory. but sense memory, like yeah. kicks in like that, and it's like a. It's and that's like, one of them for me. Wow, I I hate Steely Dan anyway, but now I really hate him <laughs> for you. Well, yeah, the Gaucho record, but anyway, so um. So you you eventually get moved to Vegas and saved, right? Like rescued. Yeah, you know, we were in Vegas for a couple months, and then and then whatever, some private eyes find me, and uh, but during that time, my brother starts a side project band called Pig. Yeah. And um, it is inspired, the name is inspired by the um, blood smeared on the wall Manson. of the Tate LaBianca yeah. house, houses and uh, pig. And, um, and yeah, and, you know, it's just uh, my brother is, uh, you know, everyone, I mean, my home is, like, very concerned with me yeah. and getting me back, but they got me back. And then once I got back... I was, you know, my brother had, like, basically decided that, um, you know, 
fuck that world that we had come up in, that, that um, church world. But yeah. I don't know if we even talked about it tonight, but Black Flag and all that stuff. Yeah, we talked about it. Like you guys said you went Did we talk about that tonight? We said you went down to an audition. We didn't go into it as much as last yeah, night. Yeah, okay, yeah. But 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 we played with them, we 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 changed our band name for them. Um, we did all of our first shows with them, and we were like their little protégés to a certain extent. Were you talking about also like last night, uh, that party where all of a sudden it was like 500 jock kids at the church? We also talked about, yeah, that, that they'd have so, parties at the church, and they were very like a small affairs where people like Ella Black was yeah, there. Yeah. Very small affairs, but like that crew in that picture. Yeah, we're all that, at scene. That's about yeah, it. Yeah. There's not many more. A few more friends, a few more weirdos, and then um, and then all of a sudden there was like, at some point there was some turning point. Someone clued into what was going on in Orange County, and suddenly, um, there was Shit. a connection made. So was that was that part of the reason your brother was like, let's reject this? Probably, yeah. you know, my brother's like not the most confident dude, and I mean, uh, maybe confidence is the wrong word, but like definitely not the most uh, open. Yeah, I understand. I feel yeah, like definitely like um, very. Uh, you know, insular. Yeah. And um, and he just was not interested in, like, um, connecting with these other teenagers. He yeah. was like, you know, I quit high school. Punk rock was my safe refuge. And now there's these kids that, kind of the kids that used to fuck with me, seems like, on mm -hmm. face value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they are um, invading my... Space. Uh, yeah. Well, not just my safe, but, like, my fucking safe yeah. refuge. Yeah. And... I mean, Black Flag, they were older. They were, like, amazing, you know? Yeah. Like, these weird kids yeah. that came to our rehearsal room just, like, now multiplied. Yeah. There's, like, hundreds of them. Yeah. Terrific. We're in. Cha-ching. And, um, and so we were just like, fuck that. By the time I got back from Las Vegas, my brother's like, I'm not cutting my hair anymore. It's like, really? And, you know, I'm like, yeah, let's not cut our hair. And so that, I would say, was kind of like, and it seems like, whatever like what kind of groundbreaking moment is that but at that moment that was, was kind of crazy it was kind of crazy yeah, yeah it was and um, and I was like a little kid that wanted to you know I think I was always like way over my head in my social world mm -hmm. you know I, I really wanted things to just be kind of cool for a while. So but is that what, did you guys both kind of retreat from punk rock a little bit at that point? Well, we were like, still played all the punk no, rock shows. Yeah, like you're playing but we suddenly stopped cutting our hair. We started like uh, just ex ex exploring our version of um, rock and roll. And, um, you know, some people would say that's when we, you know, we should stop there. You know, people like Steve Malcolmus would say, from that point on, we lost the plot. Like, that was a great moment. Yeah. yeah. We should have stopped then. And there's not. After that point, we lost the plot. Uh, <laughs> but it was a good moment. I yeah. mean, like, you know, but at the time, it was like, you know, it was trashy. It was like, we had drummers that couldn't really play. Yeah. Well, our drummer, we had this really great drummer, this kid who Black Flag kicked out of the band, but then we got him back in the band after Ron Reyes quit the band in this, like, ridiculous way got him back in the band John Stilo he had gone to Hawthorne he had gone to school with me in, in Hawthorne and uh, but then he he was like a normal kid and um, remember he was in like 11th grade he was a soccer kid and um, he stopped coming to rehearsal and we couldn't get him to rehearsal we'd call him he wouldn't come and um, and we had studio time booked 
like fuck man we can wait because like we were we were as tight as the descendants we were as tight as minor threat really we we had a strong work ethic mm -hmm. we worked we rehearsed a lot but john stilo stopped coming to rehearsal because his girlfriend christina cherry thought that we were embarrassing for whatever reason, like we were not a. Was cool... she a punk kid or no? No, she normal... was. She was a normal person. Yeah. He was a normal person, mainstream. And John Steele stopped coming to rehearsal, but we still had our studio time. So by the time we went to make Born Innocent, our first album, we should have had like we had scheduled weeks of rehearsal time. Yeah. We got to do rehearse not at all. And which you know, when you're 13, you need that rehearsal yeah. time. Yeah. You know? Well, we found out when you're adults, you need that rehearsal time tonight, exactly. too. So Exactly. Yeah. So especially when you actually are 13, yeah. not just when you feel like you're 13. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so at any rate, that's why that record is so trashy. Yeah. And um, that's one of the reasons that Steve Malcolmus would have liked the record. But in my mind, the record was supposed to sound as like competitive and forceful as a China White record, okay, or a TSOL record. So that's the stuff. Were you into that stuff at that point? That no, but I was competitive with it. That was your competitive with yeah, it. Yeah, I was definitely competitive with it. One thing that you did bring up last night that I kind of want to talk on because I thought it was such a, like a cool point was you're talking about these new kids showing up, and you're talking about Gin and and, and Black Flag looking for the new singer and A and Ring. <laughs> I love putting I put it in those terms. But I think it's I think it's it's great. It's a it, fair term yes, to put it in, yeah, right? Absolutely. Especially considering like these are the guys who and you know, looking back at it, you know, hypocritically like, you know, proclaimed, you know, that corporate rock still sucks. Yeah. And they're just you know, they're you know, crass marketing people the entire time. So you know? yeah. So what, what, like yesterday, you were talking. We we're talking about Henry showing up. And well, like, like look, whatever. I mean, I look. I'm not, that's, no, that's no, just my on opinion. No, just on Henry, and because I, I, yeah, I, I mean, love his vocals. I, and I like. Also, I think that Henry is um, Henry is a person that is has has not squandered the um, the uh, opportunities yeah, that he's no. been given. He's like obviously um, incredibly uh, bright. Like, yeah, like I, I, I give him props. Yeah. Um, for you know what he's made out of this thing, but um, at the time, um, I think that looking back at Greg Ginn, if I was to speculate about the way that guy's brain was working, mm -hmm. was that he kept going, you know, burning through, chewing up and spitting out singers because he was like looking, he was thinking from a perspective of like how to connect with a larger audience, constantly trying to con connect with a larger audience. I don't think that Dez was saying he didn't want to sing anymore in that band mm -hmm. when they found Henry. No. Like, I don't know why they were... Well, the story is that Dez... Why were they auditioning? Talk. Yeah. Well, sorry, the story that put forward in the official, you know, the official that legend that they guitar. push, yeah, that okay. Dez wanted to start playing guitar, mm -hmm. but... But also, like, that might be true. I mean, Dez, fair... Dez had played guitar in Red Cross prior to that. Yeah, and it's a fair point. And they did it again after that. And, and, and to see, like, you can see, like, why he'd do that and want to do that, but, like, why they would pick Henry Rollins. I thought you said yesterday because he started, he looked well, like now, his yeah, other so What I was saying last night, it was like, I, I speculated that Greg Gunn kind of went, like, who, what are we trying to do here? Like, what is, what's our target audience? Mm -hmm. And they're like, that kid. Yeah. That kid right there. The fucking, like, perfect specimen of young American 
you know, maleness. Yeah. Well, and that, like, obviously punk and hardcore exist prior to A that. A young North American maleness. Well, no, it's Americanness too, because I think that's <laughs> that's the birth of, you know, like, American hardcore existed prior to that. But that, to me, is like a that, 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 codification a of yeah. American hardcore, yeah, 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 right? Because, yeah, yeah. like, you know, people, black flag, that's the black flag that everyone knows. Like, yeah. not that everyone knows, because now people go... No, but I mean, that's the cover of Damage. That's the cover of Damage. It's like the... It's like the the, you know, Henry on stage, like menacingly, yeah. either with the shaved head or the short crop. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's the uh, it's it's the high water mark or whatever. It's the moment where they got the most attention, and so, it's a moment. It's like a historical moment. And like not to get into Greg Ginn because obviously there's like a lot of issues around that. But yeah. like when you mentioned earlier, we're talking about um, uh, Rick Rubin and his mm. ability to tap into the inner fourteen year old. Do you think that's yeah, we were, ta- were talking about that tonight, or was that last night? That's tonight. It was okay, the yeah, yeah, of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I love that conversation. Yeah. And so and so, you know, Rick Rubin being able to tap into the in his inner fourteen year old. Well, now that's I've, I've just read that in interviews by the people that he's hired. Yeah, but do you think that's what Gin was kind of even with you guys like being like, here's what you guys need to do to appeal to these people, or maybe maybe it doesn't work so much with what he did with you guys telling you to change your name, but like with with Rollins. Like, do you think it's him being like, what would these kids want? Here, let me tap into what they're looking I for. I guess, ultimately. I mean, I think, I think that's just what the music industry, the rock and roll industry, that's yeah. that's what that's about. Yeah. It's about, like, trying to... It's a bunch know, of 40 and 50-year-olds trying to figure out what... What 14-year-olds want. 14-year-olds want, yeah. And, you know, but I think, you know, the interesting thing about that is I think that's kind of changing. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's changed with industry-wise, but I just think in terms of, like, mu- making music and um, putting... The fourteen-year-old on such a pedestal, yep. as in terms of like that, is who we need to appeal to. I think that um, I just get the sense that uh, you know, obviously everything's changing. Yeah. We don't have to get on this big philosophical. I'm kind of over my head on it, but I think that uh, I just think that both of our bands, my band for sure, your band, as you are getting along in your rock and roll years. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The, the, your fans are gonna. I think they're gonna. Get older. They're, well, they're gonna continue with you, you know. And you're not. And it's not gonna be so much about like trying to get that next crop of fourteen year olds. Yeah, and you I. You know. And I don't know. I think that was the thing. Like, I think punk was the thing that changed that in a lot of ways. Like the idea of like you make music for your fans, and if you like, you know, jazz. I think probably was the same way. Like, yeah. you're not making music for mass appeal after a certain point with jazz music. You're making it for the people that love jazz. Well, that's definitely what the internet era has created. Is that the rock and roll musician is now like the jazz musician. Yeah. You know, and, what, and this is like now we're all over the place. But what do you think about Steve Albini's keynote speech? I haven't heard. I, I heard about you it. You haven't read I, it? No, I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Is it interesting? I feel like some of it, like I agree with him sometimes on some of these points. Of course, and then I, I do too. Sometimes. I disagree with him on some points. Yeah, like, I mean, but his most recent thing is that the copyright music should not be copyrighted and should be free, just like it enters the atmosphere like wind. And then it's just well. That would be great if it what didn't cost money to make. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, it's like you would live in a capitalist society. Yeah. Like, as much as I would love it to be free, um, like, and, and, and I don't know. Maybe. Basically, what he does in that moment, he's justifying every motherfucker. He's like taking the guilt off of them. Well, it's I, like saying, like, don't worry about the fact that you do no no longer spend money on recorded music. Yeah, but I don't think you. And can. I think it's crazy for him to be doing that. It's like you yeah, know what? I think you have to absolve people of the guilt because it's now we're all so fucking guilty. No, uh, no, but but there's options. I mean, I oh no, I don't, I, I don't. I don't download. 
Like I, 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 I really, mean, I mean, because I'm an I, idiot. And we've talked I, about this. I don't think you're into Spotify. I, no. I love my Spotify. No, I don't like. I, I, really, I love it. I will check out things on like blogs and sites. Like, oh, I want to hear the song, but if but I, I pay, like it, I pay my ten dollars a month to to get the full effects of Spotify yeah. or streaming. I believe in streaming. I actually really believe in it. I think it's, it's a great way to experience music. Yeah, I think I think I think I, my my fear is. Um, you know, the American economy, when they When lie. I go to the record shop, yeah. and this has been something, yeah. this is my own experience yeah. with record shops. You know what I have to do immediately? I have to take a crap. Really? Really bad. And it's left over from my childhood. I felt such intense pressure to make the right decision when I was Whoa, a kid. Whoa, really? Yeah, when I, the first two records... Because your brother? or yeah, yeah, it's true. When I first two records, my mom took me to the record shop when I was like seven or no, five. I, think, I don't think I wasn't even in school yet. Yeah. And uh, four said, okay, you get to pick two records. I'll buy them. And I brought, I picked Alice Cooper, um, Killer. Yeah. And um, and the Rolling Stones, Get Your Yaya's Out, their That's live crazy. album. That's crazy, you're four and your parents? It's like five, maybe. That, like, like My brother's like eight and a half. He's like a huge rock and roll fanatic. Well, maybe it's because you have a, maybe because you had an older brother, but could you imagine bringing your five-year-old, I can't imagine bringing a whole into a record store right now being like, Pick any, like, I would love to do that, but be like, pick any two records in the store, Holden. I want to buy them for you right now. And yeah. You'd be like, well, can't we just go to a toy store and buy something there? Yeah, I know. It's actually interesting. I don't know. Maybe it was because, like, it was next door to, like, a, a salon or something my mom went to. Yeah. I don't know. She, she was probably just, like, running errands and thought, and then I wanted to do it. I don't it know. It might be because you had an older brother who was so into rock and roll that you were. But the story is that I brought home those records. Would you remember what they and were? And I was really excited to shut my brother. Yeah. Like, dude, check it out. Like, little brother is yeah. pretty fucking cool, right? And he's like, this Rolling Stones record? Killer, we have, yeah. like, all these songs on other records. Oh, yeah, because it's the greatest hits. No, it's a live record. Oh, it's a live record. But all the, he didn't know at the time that this would be go on to be considered a classic performance. It's amazing that you also said what two records they were, and I asked you immediately after. What Do you remember what two records those were? What's that? Like you said, the kill. You said Alice Cooper and Rolling Ki- Stones, and I immediately asked, "Do you remember what two records those were afterwards?" It just hit me. But anyway, go on. What, what, do I remember what two what records what? I asked you what two records you bought after you told me that you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what they were. Yeah. And um, anyway, so my brother like chewed me out. Like I think he was okay with Alice Cooper Killer, but he was like definitely not down with the Stones record because we had all those records, all the all those songs and other records, not those versions. But yeah, you're like these are different versions. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't know that defense, and I was devastated. Yeah. And I remember I felt like I'd really fucked up. I'd really let him down, and yeah, I'd fucked up. And uh, so we named it after your emotion at the time. Yeah, exactly. And so I think from that point on, I had like the stakes were just too high. Anytime yeah. I walked into a record shop, and the second. I walk into a record shop still to this day. I will never ever be as long as there are still a few record shops that exist in the in the world. Yeah. I will never have to worry about being a I'm serious. A constipated? Constipated person. I will never be a constipation sufferer because I'm telling you, the second I walk into a record shop, if you ever see Steve McDonald, you know who I am. You see me just by chance if you work in a record shop or you see me there in a record shop. No, that I am either looking for the bathroom, or I've just gone, or, or I've gone, and you know. But it's that wow. that's part of the equation, and so, and it's harsh because record stores don't ever have customer you, bathrooms. I was gonna say think twice before booking off a Red Cross for an in-store. Yeah, well, now I know the code at Amoeba for their bathroom. Yo. Yeah. Do you want to give it out on the podcast? No, I'm just kidding. No, I can't tell. But uh, I, do, I will say that. I remember I went to see uh, 
I saw Flaming Lips do an instrument amoeba. It was right when like Do You Realize came out. It was packed and um, and it was the first time I'd ever heard that song. They were doing like an acoustic version. I was like, that's awesome. They did that song and then I was like, man, I can't I can't ignore this any longer. I've got to go across the street to Jack in the Box and relieve myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it, and it was like, you know, it's never pleasant at Jack in a Box having that experience. No. And then I went back, and they wouldn't let me back in because it was sold, it was packed. But um, any rate... Um, so now you'd have the code, so that wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> but how did I bring that up? There was, it was related to something. We're talking about going to record stores, and, and we're talking about just... I was going to say, like, we're talking about just records in general. I was yeah. going to say, like... I think I think the record music industry when you lost the manufacturing all all mediums of, of of information that we consume when you lost that physical artifact that yeah. you were purchasing yeah all the rules went out the window and that's on both sides like all the rules went where went out the window yeah and unfortunately for artists those are the ones that have been hurt the most but yeah. labels were like I think labels well, and the people that help artists make their records yeah and I, but I think record labels like. At first, it was like, oh, shit, what are we going to do? But now there's, like, publishing money to go after. There's, like, well, now they go Well, now they go after, like, they, they try to pretend like they're sort of quasi-managers, and they go, yeah. they go after every... Uh, Everything. Every element, the, every every um, revenue stream. No, and we're talking about a certain type of label, too, normally, but with this. But, but, but yeah, they, they, they want... You know, it's like the rule book kind of went out of the way. Hey, but you know, like, but like, my backup plan has been like, oh, okay, I'll be a record producer. <laughs> well, you know what, ringtone producer, my friend, that's the future. <laughs> I know someone that was doing ringtones for a while. I think it's, I think the market like completely the, dropped out of that. The, the bottom fell out of that. Yeah, yeah. Someone I, I'm producing right now was doing ringtones for a while, and they had some clever ways of working around some of the. The, the roadblocks that came up. Oh, really? Yeah, but but it's, they've had to abandon. Yeah, it now it's just much. like that. You yeah. know, every, Crazy Frog killed it for everybody. Yeah. Oh, Crunchy Frog, Crazy Frog. Yeah. What's Crazy Frog? Was crazy Frog's that ringtone that became uh, like. Dee, dee. I can't remember how it goes. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> but it became like a, it was like a, the I think it was like a German ringtone that entered the charts and then became like a song. <laughs> I'm not 100 on that, but. Uh, my knowledge on ringtones is a little less than my knowledge on early seven inches right, in the <laughs> punk rock genre. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, like like I don't know, like back to that Steve Albini thing, and 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 yeah. I just think like we live in a point now where like so many people steal, and I'm, and not even like like even when you like if you're like okay. Streaming is the way to to reimburse artists, so that means when everyone watches the streaming it, is a way to experience music. So there's it. a way to monetize yeah. it. So there is, and there's really good services that monetize it, and yeah. like, but just very few people are actually paying for. Well, it. that's the thing is because people watch videos on YouTube. Like that's where most people see their music. Yeah, and they so listen they, to music on YouTube. And so we watch YouTube links today. Technically, we're stealing music. Oh, you mean like when we were listening? We were to, listening to like that that the Chromex. The Chromex thing came off YouTube. That's yeah, what that's YouTube. what that's what Vice gave. Me. Yeah, I'm not blaming you. No, but, no, uh, but, I know. But, but I'm just saying, like, that is like you 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 know we've. But just so that. that you know, I wrote to Vice and I said, "Look, I'm listening to this on Spotify right now, um, which I pay for my Spotify account, but 
I need to be able to import files into a Pro Tools yeah, session no, yeah. so I can play along with it. I'm not playing no way. No, no, I'm just letting you know. Yeah. The only reason I wanted files is because I wanted to create a Pro Tools mm -hmm. session for me to play along with. I don't want to manage files anymore. I'm someone who makes music. I'm very aware of what file management is all about. Yeah. And it's a fucking dead-end road of, of it's, it's what nightmares are made of. <laughs> and, the, and the prospect that at somewhere down the line, I can tap into a server the size of um, the Mall of America yeah. that's in somewhere in a fucking forest in North Dakota, and um, it's gonna have every song I've ever been interested in and will futurely be interested in on a server that mm -hmm. I can just stream. You better believe I want access to that library, and I will gladly pay $10 for it. It's a great service. I think anybody my age and older should immediately like agree with me and fucking put down their $10 a month. People younger than me and younger than you, um, okay, yeah, so maybe you only grew up with getting music for free, so you, we lost you. Yeah. We lost you. Yeah. But from this point on, like your children, my children, they, sh they, they, could, they could learn to associate exchanging yeah. money for recorded music. I think for us just to go, okay, Steve Albini, yeah, so you are a, a utopian um, fucking, you know, the new, the new um, age of Marxists. Like, okay, yeah, you know what? It's unrealistic. It's not where we are as a no. culture yet. I know, but... So I it's like, dude, I don't, like, keep your, keep your crazy, you know, fucking crackpot politics out of mainstream media right now and making everyone feel okay about something that's not right. And, uh, but I just think like, well, and I, you know, I, I hope that sounded like, I hope, I hope that was, yeah, whatever. Good. That's the first time I've seen you cut a promo. <laughs> you got a little Ric Flair in there. Um, it's, it's been bottled up for a little yeah, while. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I, I can see exactly what you're saying, and obviously this is my line of work, and I agree. I mean, recorded music is valuable. I just, I just think it's something point, we're going to grow old with. And it's not even just recorded music. It's books, it's films, it's TV. Yes. We, we have decided as a society that information, like just information, doesn't really have a value. It has to be packaged with something. And you saw that, I think the best example- Packaged with stuff. Well, like, yeah. Like, but stuff freaks me out. Like, I have I a child. I, I'm not, hey, I don't want this. I'm saying this is what I think- Like, what like we use disposable diapers. Like, we are really, like, my family are, like, nasty about yeah. stuff. We are, like, not great about stuff. But what, but I, and I lose sleep about yeah. the stuff we fucking create. But, here, but, the, and the, but the thing is, <laughs> yeah. you, like, you, you now this music, this culture yeah. is going to be tied to the industry, tied to industry. Period. Like yeah. Jay Z, when you got that record, every time you bought a cell phone, U two, where they inception their record onto your cell phone. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're like I think we're just a few years away from like the One Direction, Pepsi, promotion where One Direction is going to sell a billion records because every time you buy a can of Pepsi, you get the new One Direction record. Like it's probably not going to be One Direction; it's going to be whatever the equivalent is then. And they're going to be like, we've sold a billion records because people have bought a billion cans of well, pop. Well, they're not going to say they sold a billion records. Well, they, they said they about the Jay Z. They 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 said they could count it. Uh, it was it was it Billboard was... counted it as, but R I A A wouldn't recognize okay. it. Okay. But you know, how long are they going to resist? You know, like the, eventually this stuff I think will be counted on the charts, and then it's going to be, and then it's just like music becomes like a a sticker in the Cracker Jack box or a toy in the cereal box. It's just a value added thing. And I, I don't think that's what, 
hopefully people still feel passionate. And the other I option, mean, like, I'm not saying that the old way was I love perfect. the old way. I fucking love the old way. Like, I don't you love the love, expense yeah. of the old way. Yeah. But I... You know, as like this guy that likes building collections and, and stuff like that. Yeah, you like to collect things. I love that. But of course, it, it makes me have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So like, I'm okay with not collecting that way. I but 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 I respect your right yeah. to do it, and I hope that it that 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 continues to be available. So you don't you don't care about records? You don't really collect? I have some. Yeah, like like you would just be like. Fuck it, Damien, have my Red Cross test presses. I mean, the Red Cross, because I probably hold on to just because uh, I made nah, I, th I think I think you're being a hypocrite now. I think you really should just give them to me. <laughs> just in case Alfie wants them I'm joking. I'm but um, no, I, I, but the thing is, I really don't, I, you know. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, it's like, uh, look, well, whatever. Yeah, I mean, take what I have to say with a grain of salt, because... Uh, when I grew up with my brother, um, my brother and I shared a room. We shared a record collection, and um, when we both moved out of our parents' home, he took it. He took the like all the classic Dangerous <laughs> records, but you know what? They were his decisions yeah. for the most part. And but around that time, it was early mid '80s, and the CD was coming out, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to collect CDs. I collected <laughs> CDs. <laughs> Which I actually still appreciate yeah, the yeah. format. It's a decent format, but I, you know, but I got rid of all my jewel cases about six years ago. And the binders. I put them in little tiny case logic. Yeah, flip things. Joe, it took me five years to do it. It made me hate my collection and the process of doing it. Yeah. But I could also put them in small areas yeah. where I didn't have to display all my ugly CDs. I thought, and I could sift through them quickly. And I don't, I, yeah, I know. I, I hate going to people's houses when there's nothing to flip through. Yeah, well, you could, you could. I have, I have drawers that you could open and see them. And flip yeah, see, through. that's like, I mean, like, I, I just like. But yeah, like, I, I like but this the is the thing. Like, I, I had a girlfriend when when I was like twenty or whatever. First time I moved out of my parents' house, and I had all my CDs and my records. And then I was like, okay, if I put them here. Yeah. And she was like, what? Don't put them there. I don't want to look at them. Weird. Yeah, it's like. Uh, I've always been like, I don't know, because I maybe, grew up with it. Maybe weird because maybe you were like wore the pants better than I did. All I know is that my girlfriend was like, look, I'm interested in aesthetics. This is not pleasing to my eye. I don't want to look. I, I respect your record collection. I respect your taste. I think you have good taste. I'd listen to you regarding musical taste. I don't want to look at those records. They're ugly. Yeah. And I, think I don't look at those CDs. They're ugly. Collecting in our society is is like a, a real like, it's pushed as a masculine pursuit. Yeah. In a lot of ways, like certain collections, yeah, right? like music true. collecting and that's things true. like that. It's like yeah, it's so like, you need to have a man cave, a man den. For the quote that. unquote man, you need your man cave. You need your like yeah. place. But I, I know I Lauren. Lauren and I collected records. Like Lauren that's collected cool. records, and I really scared that out of her when she saw how bad an addiction can be when to records with my collection. Because you kept bringing them, right? Well, I just always. And so, she, and she loves the records. Like, it's like a, yeah. it's something we have. Yeah, I've thought so. about that about you. So, like, so what do you do with your record collection? I have it in, uh, Lauren and I share, uh, like, an office that is pretty much her desk and my desk surrounded by records. Right. <laughs> um, and we just, you know, she does her, she works from home, so she does her work yeah. in there, and I, and I do, you know, my my quote unquote I'm now I'm doing the air coats on the microphone work in that room and uh, <laughs> that's where the records are and it's off limited to the kids 
Yeah, but, 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 but it's not, that room's not getting any bigger, right? So, like, how, what do you do? How do you... I, I, I do sell stuff. Like, I sold 400 records last yeah, year and you, bought you, one you with all it. the money. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. And so you sell stuff and, you know... You'll, I'll, yeah. I won't sell... Like, I'll flip stuff. I'll try and trade it. Like, it's like... But you'll try to, like, pare down. Like, you'll try to get take this much music and make it... This much music that you care, like... Not so much about and just make it a little turn smaller, to this much music yeah. that you Love really it. care but a like, lot about. And I'm saying that, but I, it's almost more like I'm doing that to just make space to bring in other records that I might really care about. Well, yeah, but there's always like you're keeping hope in your life. Yeah, the potential yeah. of like hold on to hope. something that's gonna like spark something yeah. for you. That's that's cool. And like, like man, it's a passion. I fucking respect it. I love, I love. I love enthusiasm. I love your enthusiasm, and that's awesome that uh, you have that in you in your life. And you know, I mean, I think the thing for me is like I I, I relate to it. Just that's not one of those yeah, things no, for no. me. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like. But on, back onto the topic, I guess we were talking about the value of recorded music. We're talking about the value of recorded media. I like I on like I place a value on it. I place. Some would say probably too much value on it, given the price I'm willing to pay for some of these old seven inches. Yeah. Uh, you know, value for this music, and I think how much it's worth. But I just think the next generation that has grown up not going to bookstores, not going to record stores, not yeah. going to video stores, yeah. not, like it's just because it's just not there, you yeah. know. And that's probably on the generation before for not being like we need to keep these alive. But we we're all like, what you get this shit for free now? Um, that I think we've almost like moved past the point of return, you know, and it's now just like, what's coming next? Like it's weird to think like, there could be a point where, you know, it's several generations away from now where, where books are kind of goes away with the CD, and people are like, oh, but the recorded words existed forever, and reading off a screen is terrible. But if you grew up reading off some sort of screen, or if the screens get better. You know, it could be conceivable that a Wait, book, books go the way of the, the CD. So, what do you mean? Like, books are no longer published? Well, like, people would still publish books, obviously, but, like, the fact that you wouldn't, no one would think about buying a book to read something. You just read it on your tablet or read it on your computer or read uh, yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, the, the printed word is, yeah. still, is, is, is still existing. It's still existing, but I think the idea of a book, like a physical book. But that's probably a good idea. Yeah, it is. I mean, come on, it's made of fucking trees. Well, that's it. And that's, you know what? And here's the thing about the, all this stuff. I mean, I mean, I know that all the, like, the fucking gadgets that go into making computers and tablets are not great for the planet either, yeah. but, like... All these, all these shifts of us moving away from... Like I think we're post information age now. We're moving into a post information. Like we were, we we were obsessed with information for the last fifty years. Like records, so books pre, in, in the West. So you're saying pre-internet, pre-computer, like pre yeah, um, just that information age. Like just the yeah. idea of like paying for information. Like yeah. you will, you know, go to the store where you can buy information and bring it home. Now yeah. we all have information in yeah. our pockets and our yeah. in our desktop. So like, I. The idea of like buying something to be like I own this piece of information, be it a record, be it a book, be it a movie, and putting it on your shelf so other people can see you own that piece of information, that could just I think that might just that's probably gonna disappear. That's gonna disappear, yeah. Just because like we all own that information now. 
because sure. it's just out there. Sure, sure. They'd be like, oh, that entire volume of encyclopedia, that's yeah. nice. I've got, I've got. Uh, I've got a better one. Well, that's updated and, constantly. And it, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 streaming. Yeah. I don't even have to manage the yeah. file. Yeah, and like, and so like the idea of having that, you know, where you pay it's, for information. It's 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 not going to go away, obviously, but it's going to change. Like we don't want to pay for a physical representation. Well, the thing of is, I just think like I used to know, like as I get older in my life, my point was like talk about the girlfriend and the, yeah. and the stuff. Yeah. Was that it was like okay, like by the third time I moved and I had to move my records, I was like, this is a fucking albatross. Yeah. Like it used to be great; it defined who I was, mm -hmm. and then at some point it was like, this is like a fucking ball and chain, mm -hmm. and um. And it's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And I love this music. That that what's the content is something that means a lot to me. But um, managing and uh, being the custodian of the physical aspects of it is not. Um, is not what motivates me. Yeah. You know, and um, and I think that the idea of the culture moving behind on that is probably not a bad thing because ultimately like what are these things made well, of you yeah know? that's a, and we also hit this point now that resources have been exhausted you know petroleum well, it's, a, it's really scary trees. it's really really yeah. scary you know and we're breeders both of us yep yeah which is like i don't know like it changed the way i, I you know like the the whole nihilistic punk thing and i'm not you know i, I definitely smashed bottles on myself and cut myself but like my nihilism was fairly, you know, part of being a performer. Like, I sure. want, like, you know, I really did that shit, but it was, like, in an Iggy Pop kind of nihilist. Like, I want to be, like, Iggy and, and Steve Lecky from the Biletones and, and Darby and hurt myself. Like, I wasn't really a nihilist, but, like, once you have kids, any shred of nihilism, I think, you know, just, I felt sucked away from me. Like, yeah. I just want, I want to, I want to live forever. I want this world to live forever for them. I want the world to be a better place. Like, I don't want to be a negative person anymore because I think it's fun and mean. Well, I mean, because the thing is, it's like, you know, it's one thing to, like, piss on it when it's just you pissing on yeah. this something, something given to you. Yeah. But when it's like, okay, I insisted that this person come to the come, party. Yeah. Like, I absolutely said, like, you have to come to this party. You yeah. You fucking have to come to it. It's like you drove them there. <laughs> yeah. Like... Isn't it now your responsibility to make sure that they like at least have a good time? Yeah, we'll make sure the party goes on yeah, a little party, longer after you leave. It's not like, you know, fucking, you know. I heard someone actually, there was a really good quote because people always complain about the millennials. I think my friend, this guy, I'm trying to remember who, Jack McDonald, this kid, guy, kid I know tweeted it out, but it was like some quote from someone else, and he's like talking about people complaining about the men, millennials. It's like imagine being a, a kid born now and everyone's telling you about this amazing party that you just missed, <laughs> you know, like, oh, and now it's like, you have all this shit, you know, and it's like, yeah. no wonder people are a little pissed off, you know, these, the next generation feels a little, a little embittered in some way, not everyone, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, there's still good times to be had. Oh, absolutely. Uh, tonight, <laughs> tonight we had an amazing time. Non yeah, terrific. I don't mean now. Because I'm having an amazing time, but I don't know how amazing time you are. I'm just saying we're practicing together. And now that, look, man, this has been a great, this has been, it's not even the weekend. No. It's like a great kind of few days. It's weird because, like, I don't know. Now, we, you know what? We should call it now. I'm okay. going to call it because we've 
Had a great time. Yeah. Exhausted. But before we go, are you okay with where with part two? Okay? I love part two. I think I love part two more than part one. Like right, that's all I, I don't care know if about. listeners will because yeah, I think part yeah, yeah no, but, part one might have been more of um, yeah yeah we, we kind of missed like I'm with the band and we just got like the second book where it's a little bit more touchy feely <laughs> yeah but um, or maybe a little more philo- philosophical but I think we got you know before I let you go I think we got all the like the 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 key kind of like stories yeah, except can, the one okay and you can tell it you can tell a condensed version okay. of this story because it was quite long yesterday when you told it but the uh, I'm not sure which one it is the, uh, uh, the Courtney Love story Courtney Love story okay, okay this is it Courtney Love okay so I've done like a, a, the, the point of telling this is that uh, besides being in Red Cross and now off the last four or five years I've done lots of different things I've produced records and Played for other people, other musicians. Yeah, like played, Sparks, Tenacious Sparks. D. Oh, we can talk about that. Was one thing we should have talked about, Tenacious D. But we can. I played on Tenacious we will D's do part first two. album. Okay, well, you and, and I, we gotta but, leave but yes, you've played. You've played bass. Like you're like actually one of those people that like has touched a lot of big different records and different worlds. Well, you yeah. know, it's one of the, like I think it's another modern thing. I think I, I heard this on whatever recently like the the portfolio yeah career you know I think you and I yeah we're talking about this maybe today. identify on that level yeah. you know like trying to do different stuff trying to yeah I like, try to like you know constantly having to reinvent yourself not reinvent necessarily but like you know like rather than look at something else you have to do like something else you get to learn yeah you know like, yeah. like it's a positive thing yeah and uh, so one thing I decided one day was that. Uh, I remember seeing that um, in the late 90s, I was sort of out of the scene for a while. I was going to school. After 20 years of doing Red Cross, I decided to go to school and study music <laughs> and uh, try music from a different perspective. At any rate, um, so grunge had already happened, and, uh, it, and it was starting to die. It's kind of weird. Did you guys sat out grunge? Like, you were there at the very beginning? No, but like we the... were kind of around. I mean, because that's, that's the thing about, um, like, we... I guess not for the end of the party. Well, we predated grunge yeah. because we were around for the early L.A. punk rock scene. and then, um, But then early grunge, we were starting to tour by then, and we were going up to yeah. Seattle. But I mean, and... I mean, like, the... The, I guess the end of the party for the grunge records, like the when the people were putting out the Bush X records and like well, the I mean that's chair. when things got really ugly, and that's basically when we like yeah. we we jumped, yeah. you know, like during during the height of grunge, you know, we were busy trying to like get a second chance, yeah, okay, and um, and we were for the first time relating to things that were going mainstream, yeah. like when when um, when Kelly Deal had a gold record after playing guitar for maybe six months on you know um uh cannonball yeah it was like fuck man and it was a cool tune yeah just thinking like things are coming around you know this is an interesting time and uh but it was a brief moment unfortunately and um, it didn't last long and um and so by the late '90s, I had stopped, and uh, and I stopped playing out live. And uh, but I was missing being in a band, that's for sure. And um, seeing that, I remember seeing in the paper that um, an old rival of mine, Jane's Addiction, were had reunited, 
and we're playing the Hollywood Bowl. It was like, oh, fuck, man, that sucks. You know, like, like awesome, good for them, yeah. you know? But, like, it's a really prestigious venue. The Beatles had played there. And not a lot of not a lot of rock shows were happening there. You've probably seen stuff there too, right? Actually, I hadn't. Oh, really? I maybe had gone to something like a, you know, like a, you know, a jazz series in the summertime. Yeah. But like not a rock show. Like they had shows in the seventies, like famous Alice Cooper yeah, show, yeah. and but it just wasn't a common venue. And um, it, it is again now. But uh, at any rate, so. They were playing, and then on top of it, um, to make matters worse, from my perspective, uh, uh, a newly soloed uh, Courtney Love would be um, debuting her new solo outfit as the um, direct support. And um, I'd heard through the grapevine that she was looking for a guitar player. And, um, and so, Whatever, so I stored that into my memory banks, and then one day I was at a vintage clothing fair with my um, wife, and uh, it was at a bowling alley in Burbank, California, and just like the stalls of mom and pops, you know, vintage clothes uh, businesses, basically like a like a swap meet in a in a uh, bowling alley, and um, and it, who do we see? Shopping also, but uh, Courtney Love and Winona Ryder, and um, they are just like fucking all eyes on them. And uh, and I didn't really know Courtney. I kind of like we'd had a crank called her once in the early '90s, and my brother and I we were real pranksters, and we thought it was funny to crank call that chick who looked like Tina Yothers from um, from Family Ties. Yeah. And she was this like this is kind of person that had been around and like, and we knew of her. We knew that she like had a rivalry. Had she been in Faith No More? Did she do something in Faith? Probably, no yeah, yeah, yeah. She, well, Rodney Roddy Bottom is a good friend of mine. Had like was good friends with her. Yeah. And um, any rate, Tina Yeathers aside, that was kind of a low thing. I don't know why I said that, but uh, any rate, so uh, Courtney Love, I. My backs, just my backstory is this: the Red Cross had been managed by the same manager, who also um, worked with Sonic Youth and uh, and then later Nirvana. And um, so when Nirvana hit really big, um, I always thought that we should play with Nirvana. Yeah. And we were always told that we couldn't play with Nirvana because Courtney said that we were mean to her when she was fat. Now. Um, I don't think we were, yeah. but we did crank call her once. And, and it, it was definitely about, not like, it was not like, hey, fat yeah. chick. Yeah, it it was, wasn't like the popular dudes like doing some lame jock move. Like, it wasn't a creepy Carrie scene. Yeah. It was, in fact, it was quite funny. And the crank call, after it went down, she really kind of held her own. And I actually thought at the end of the call, like, I guess we're friends with that chick now yeah you know like we're gonna have to like you know be friends with her and um we said she like figured it out and kind of like let you guys know she made an emergency breakthrough from my ex-girlfriend at the time who was my girlfriend at the time uh, who was like this known actor and whatever it was just very like whoa touche yeah like you got that yeah gnarly and um okay like 
fuck, man, she's okay. And, uh, like, whatever, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's like childish, mischievous shit. I don't, it wasn't really mean-spirited. Yeah. And it definitely was not um, anything to seek vengeance yeah. over. And um, so the fact that we never got to play with Nirvana was a bummer for me, but it was fine. Whatever. Did you like Nirvana? I love Nirvana, you know? Like, Kurt Cobain and I were, uh, we didn't know each other, but uh, he... Um, we were born the same year and a couple month, couple months apart, and um, and I really liked. Once I got over the jealousy of yeah. Nevermind, um, I really I got on board with it, you know. And I thought like, fuck, thank God, you mm-hmm. know, like this is something I can relate to, mm-hmm. and it's breaking through, um, which um, was the first really the first time in my lifetime and uh and at that time there was always that you know temptation or that possibility you know and that's things are kind of different now but you know when i was 18 or whatever you know i had the the dream to have that kind of experience and but it, it was totally alienating it was like well how can i relate to millions of people when it's like um I really don't like anybody. <laughs> Except for a pretty small group of well, people. Probably that's what happened to Kurt, you know, in a certain point. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, well, I mean, that. yeah, he did a lot of apologizing for his success. Yeah. You know, but at any rate, okay, so I'm kind of like getting a little lost here. But anyways, yeah. so my point was that um, by the time I ran into her at a vintage clothing, clothing fair, I had a lot of like baggage that I was kind of <laughs> secretly carrying around about this person. Yeah. But... Um, but still, it was like, well, God, man, I sure would love to play the Hollywood Bowl, you know, and these people get to do it. Why the fuck can't I do yeah. it, too? And so I'd heard she was looking for a guitar player, so I just, like, after she had made some, like, random comment about the big star shirt I was wearing, I said, hey, um, hey, I want to play rhythm guitar for you at the Hollywood Bowl. And it was like, Whatever, my point was like, I don't want a lot of responsibility. Yeah. But I want to be there. I want to see the ball. Yeah, I want to play the ball. And you're like a bass player, right? So. Yeah, but I think. I knew that somehow I knew she had a bass player. And I think that she. Somehow I was like, I just wanted the job that was like, I want to be the Izzy Stradlin in your situation. I want to be like. You don't want to have to worry about doing the lead. It's low pressure. (laughs) It's low pressure. I can just fucking kind of just show up. And so a couple of weeks later, like at midnight, one night, I get a fucking call, phone call. I get a phone call. Come down. Eh, I get another rehearsal studio. And I went down, and uh, it just was like a weird scene. It was just, you know, it's like these scenes, like there were all these people there, and I get the sense, and, I'd been, and another thing is I'd heard about, like, oh, yeah, you think this is bad? It's nothing compared to Guns N' Roses rehearsals. And I'd hear about, like, oh, yeah. what it's like to be a part of the... Axl Rose era Guns N' Roses world, which is like, uh, yeah, everybody's paid to be somewhere, but no one knows if they're actually going to be working. Yeah. And, but he might show up, like there's like a cutoff where if he doesn't show up by that point, you can get out safe. Yeah. But he might show up like 10 tell. 
Yeah. And you could be there for the next like ten hours. Kind of like it's. I hear that's like Vince McMahon who owns WWF. It's like or WWE. It's like that. Like I guess you. you for who? The guy who owns WWF. Oh, okay, right. WWE. Okay, know. right. So so that's what happens with people that are like really yeah. famous and they're getting indulged. And a you lot. got yeah. And no one says no to you. So. Yeah, no one says no to you. And there's just like a lot. There's like a lot of there's a lack of um, consideration about uh, people. And also, I imagine. You know, if you have a substance abuse problem. Yeah, right. So that's what was going on for her. She had like was having a major substance abuse problem, and her best friend at the time went out a rider. They're just the two of them were just like trading pills left and right in the fucking rehearsal room, and they'd show up like at midnight, like right before, right before you could get out cleanly, and then we'd be stuck there till six a.m. every day. For these two weeks, yeah. and you couldn't have a conversation unless she was the center of it. Like literally, you couldn't talk to someone that you knew without being like, "What? What?" And she's the only person with a microphone. What were the other people like in the band? Like, well, it was like she had she, she had chosen people like a bass player who played with Dio. Okay. That's all I knew was a bass player played with Dio. She chose these people that she thought were like arena rock people. Okay. And we were rehearsing this huge place, and the whole thing was like, "Gotta rehearse in a big place if you're gonna make music that sounds good in an arena." And there was like a roadie who was like writing riffs for her. It was such a weird scene. It was like because uh, you've been around a lot. I guess at this point, had you been around as much? Well, I hadn't kind of... been inducted into that world yet. Yeah, okay, you know so it's your mean? first like, exposure to it. It was kind of my first exposure into, like, what happened when people from my world had, like, um, you know, won the lottery. Yeah. And, like, what is the aftermath of yeah. that? And, um, and I hadn't seen that, and no one really from my graduating class, not many of them. Well, had. yeah, because, like, you're all the people in your graduating class... Of, of bands yeah. are are legendary, but they never achieved that kind of legendary status while they were around. Well, right? and then, but then once the grunge thing happened, then there were people yeah. my age that were starting to happen, but like, I wasn't... You didn't, they were not your peers, right? Because you were yeah. like, you guys have been around a lot longer. Well, but I think of them as my peers. I mean, I think of someone like Dave Grohl. It's like, yeah. that's, I mean, Kurt Cobain was my age, you yeah, know? None of those guys saw the germs, right? Well, I definitely, At 12. I didn't feel inferiority around them, that's for yeah, sure, yeah. but I mean, I think that um, I thought of them as, e I yeah, no, feel, I, mean, I know what you're saying. I yeah. did feel like we were like, that's my graduating class, um, and at any rate, but yeah, it's true, but we talked about last night that like, my taste, my, who I am as a music person is more like a 60 year old, Yeah. even though I'm 47. Because I just was so much younger and hanging out with an older crew, and um, it was a weird thing. But um, so, anyway, so it's my first experience dealing with someone that's like in the throes of like drug addiction and um, ego. You know, um, just ego had been so tended to and mm -hmm. massaged into a you know a life-threatening situation, probably. You know. Yeah. That's what happens. And so uh, so then finally our show comes up and we're going to do this show and, you know, and it's been two weeks of rehearsing with her and it had been pretty miserable and she's the only person that was allowed to talk and it was just fucked. And um, we go to do the show. We're 15 minutes late to stage because she's making a, the band chant, like do like a religious kind of prayer together and... Etc. And then 
10 minutes. Yeah, and then there was a side Holy. story that she was, like, trying to, like, be... There was all this talk about her going to be in the, the Janis Joplin story, and um, which I thought was really funny, because I said, well, who is going to... I said, she probably could do the acting role, but who's going to sing? And they said... Courtney, <laughs> and yeah, that was my reaction. So anyway, anyways, and I, I said it last night, but I want to bring it up again. There is that Thirty Rock plot line about Jenna, the character on there, the actress, going, which I think is after. Yeah, I think it came out after, so it yeah. must be in response. Yeah, so to so this. she was so Jenna, the actor, was constantly trying to become Janice. Uh, she was auditioning for, for Janice Joplin. You're right. Okay, so that's what Courtney and my speculation was doing yeah and when we were on stage in front of 20,000 people at this at the Hollywood Bowl she was direct support which means you know she couldn't take it for granted that they were in her court yeah. you know it's yeah. like she had to work for it still. yeah and uh, at any rate so every song we're you know in the in the three minute Malibu nice pop song you know bling G chord and then she turn around gonna rescue you gonna you know set you free tonight baby and like what the chorus again okay <laughs> okay all right let's play tonight baby had you guys jammed any of these songs in rehearsal anything? yeah well we played these songs but suddenly like she's stretching every yeah, but, song yeah like, had you ever jammed on one she, no suddenly she's <laughs> reprising every song and reprising it and like trying to make it and I and, and I kind of realized like oh right she's like looking for that genius Janis Joplin live moment she's yeah. trying to like She's trying to like intersect with like this moment where uh, you are no longer really you're kind of otherworldly, mm -hmm. and like my example would be like Janis Joplin, the Big Brother live version of Summertime, you know, from Porgy and Bess, and you know, just yeah. some, some great moment in rock history that she was physically not capable of. And, well, um, and she, can, she has had great moments in rock history, but, but not, not that, that kind of yeah, moment. Not the Janis Joplin moment. Not this Janis Joplin moment. moment. And yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Because I love a, Live Through This. Yeah. I love Celebrity Skin. I think those records are yeah, fucking Yeah, they're awesome. cool. They're cool. And they've got, she had a great scream. Yeah. She could fucking like, ah, she fucking had balls for sure or yeah. whatever. But at the same time, I'm not going to go she out. She had ovaries. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go out there and do PBR R&B tomorrow because I know my limitations. So exactly. So anyway, yeah, she didn't have a realistic um, self-conception. Yeah, yeah. And so at any rate, so it was like, okay, great. So now we're like looking at every song's about fifteen minutes long, and um, and and my thing was like, okay, so clearly you want to like dig your own grave. Fine. Hand me a shovel. <laughs> Let's just like dig. Let's fucking dig. Oh, stretch this one out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's great. Let's stretch this one out too. Like, oh yeah, whatever. Violet. Oh yeah, twenty minute violet. Let's do it. Oh yeah, and <laughs> whatever. And uh, so, uh, so at some point, finally, the 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 high ball just like um, turn on the lights, and they turn off the PA. And she's still up there, like, ah, she's turning around, like, screaming at us, like, come on, come on. So you guys are just using your on-stage amplification? Just on-stage amplification, which is, like, it's basically, yeah, yeah. like, you know, you're, like, in Grand Central Station, you know, and 
You're like a, an ant in Grand yeah. Central Station. You know, it's like you are completely neutered. You've got yeah. no power. And uh, and for me, like symbolically, it was like someone metaphorically was just like taking duct tape and just wrapping it around her face really fast and covering her mouth. And it's like, you know, the only person in the room with a microphone suddenly not only doesn't have a microphone, they can't fucking talk anymore. And so it was like, what did, was that, did you say goodbye after that show? Or you yeah. Like... No, we still kind of like hung out a little bit more. And then there was some night where I just like started saying this kind of shit to her face. And it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. But I got even more personal. I got really gnarly and terrible. And, um, you know, I... But she was wasted. She doesn't remember it. But um, whatever. 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 It's like my opinion. So yeah. For what it's worth. For what it's worth. And and the stuff I was saying, like I still believe back what I said. Um, but just like you don't. I think really it was coming from the right place. It wasn't. I wasn't really said in the right way. Maybe. Um. No, it just didn't necessarily need to be said. Yeah. You know, it could have been my opinion. I could have given it to my wife. Yeah. And she said, "Yeah, I know. I agree with you. It's really sad." And like, and then there could have been a way that, like, I could have channeled that energy in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. It's hard when you. I'm like, still learning. Yeah, we're in that situation, and you're, and then we walk away from it. I imagine there's like a whole other, and especially now because you've been in other situations, like, I'm sure with other insanities. Yeah where you're like, oh, it probably gives you a different perspective on that. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I guess it's, you know, some of it's my ego. Like, I, think, I think a lot of it was my ego at that time because I remember feeling, like, dirty that I participated in something that I didn't believe in. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I felt like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, I'm getting paid for this. I can't just leave, even though I really disagree with how human, the, the humanitarian... Yeah, we shouldn't, I guess we don't have to get into all the details like we got yeah. into last night about why, but yeah, I... I do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, have you been dark. in those situations before where you're kind of like, oh, I really don't yeah. agree oh, with yeah. this. And then, yeah. but by not saying anything, you're kind of condoning yeah, it, like, but you're, you know, so I felt like I had this like need to like, at least like vomit it yeah. out at some point, my opinion, but. Well, it's just like, you, 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 you know, sometimes we are our own toughest critics, obviously. And like, yeah. Lash out after you yeah. like, beat yourself up. Yeah. And things like that. And it's and it's and it and it's funny how like things that seem so important like like your pride and your ego just fades the further you are from the situation. Yeah. Like in retrospect you're like, Oh, you know what? You're like I'm sure like even now, like, that's an amazing story. Like if you had gone out there and played like record perfect versions of all those songs that's not that story. That story is amazing because no. there's twenty minute versions of whole songs. Oh yeah, like it's like whole Hawkwind. Yeah, it was like whole Hawkwind, and then also we did an impromptu performance for um, an A and R guy backstage too. What like and, just on acoustics? Or? Yeah, acoustics in the bathroom at the Hollywood Bowl, and and, um, and that was really <laughs> weird too. <laughs> they were like new songs, like half baked new song, and watching this A and R guy like. Just really trying to like listen, like get into. It, and were you like eyes. performing them in the bathroom, or did you? Were you yeah, just like, and I was just kind of laughing. Whoa. Like, this is ridiculous, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I remember reading that about that show, and the reviews were incredible. Oh like, yeah, yeah, I bet. But, but I never read the reviews. They make reference to you smiling on stage, like just. Being like, you told me that last night. I have yeah. to, I, I should catch that. I should yeah, find just, like, that. Google, so, like I'm sure. Maybe tonight I'll do for the. Did you do a song called Julian? 
I love you. No, no, you know there was a Julian song, yeah. there, right? And it, and it was Julian something, and it was all about Julian Casablancas. Yep. And like, because I remember that was a big deal at that time. Julian, um, I love you, but you're too young. Was it the name of the song? Something like that. And it was all about because, uh, yeah, because the whole thing was like the music industry is dead. Mm -hmm. It might not be dead. We're gonna find out this week with this new band. Yeah. And um, I remember we stopped rehearsal one night because she had to go see the the Strokes play, and I I already was hip to the Strokes. Yeah. Never, I saw them around the time, but uh, been there, done that. Well, not that it's a guy. You know, <laughs> I know, I'm just I'm but joking. I, mean, I, I, you know, I was into them. Yeah, I know, because it was but, being written up in rough trade. But, 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 but I'm not like hearing it from this like insider's perspective. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't on the inside, yeah. you know, and I was hearing like her manager slash lawyer slash yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, talking about the strokes. Yeah, and yeah. the in the industry perspective of yeah. it, and like what this means, this moment, and then her reaction, how she's like, I can try to get her claws into them with this song, and um, I've got so many clear memories of that because I saw the Strokes. Yeah. That on that tour. Yeah. And when they played Toronto, and uh, I did my friend book the club. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, JC, Jeff Cohen, uh, you've, you've played shows for him before. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, you know, it's, it's a shit show because it was a free show and there's thousands of people there. I still, I, I can't think of another time I've had seen a band play for the first time with that kind of lineup. Yeah. Of people just waiting, freaking the fuck out. And it's yeah. like they, I don't think the record was even out until the next week. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, so I'm backstage and I'm sitting there and then Julian's like wasted and he looks at me and he's like, I'm so drunk. I'm like, cool, man. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I've only had sex twice at this point, right? So, <laughs> cool, man. And he looks at me, he's like, and I'm so horny. And he pulls out a cigarette, and he smokes a cigarette, and I'm like, he's like, menthol makes me horny. And I'm like, cool. Cool, man. I'm just like, like, whoa, weird. And he comes up and he hugs me and he starts kissing, like kissing my. I, obviously, he was just fucking with me. I don't think he was actually romantically attracted to me or anything. But he's like, yeah. But what did you think at the time he was hitting on you? No, because I, I, I thought he was fucking with me and he's he just he, drunk. But he's he was, saying like, he's, he's, menthol makes me really horny, and he, then he's smoking menthol. Yeah, and he comes over to me and we're like face to face, and then he's kissing on my neck and hugging me. Wow. And now being like, if I wasn't, I wasn't dating anyone. I wasn't married. Being who I am now, I would have gone with it. I would have been like, let's see how far this fucking goes. Like, let's see if I wind up having sex with Julian from the Strokes and I lose my virginity to a man to this guy. But like, no, you already, you'd already I lost was, virginity. Well, to not to a man. I know, but you already had, so that was not a potential. But you're saying, like, had you... No, no, I'm saying had, if it was me now and I wasn't married. Losing your man virginity. Yeah, and if I wasn't married, I would have pursued... Like, because now I'm married, right? But I'm saying, like, yeah. if I if I was a, this, like, 34-year-old yeah, right. in with my With your 20s, wisdom now. Yeah, I would have gone with it. You've been like... Yeah, like what's like fight? Like, well, yeah, what's life. Well, yeah, what's good? Well, yeah, where's this gonna? Where's this gonna go? Yeah. But at the time, being like an insecure guy who yeah. had sex very few times, and like, you were young, oh. you were young. Yeah, I'm like, uh, uh, Julian, no, thank you, but thank you. And then he just like gets off and walks away. But did, I, did you actually refuse yeah, his advances? Yeah, yeah. You were I'm like, like, no, thank you. Whoa. Yeah, I'm like, no, thank you, but thank you. Like, like, <laughs> like something insane. Like, no, dude, no, back off. No, thank you. Like, you know, because, like, I, you know, I didn't want to, I hadn't, it was just such a weird fucking situation. Have you seen him since? Never talked to him since. Oh, but man. I bring it up to everyone that, like, Cerebral Ballsy, when they were on tour, I'm like, yeah. yo, tell Julian this. And then my, this friend I in Toronto interviewed him, I'm like, yo, bring up the fact, Tommy made, tried to make out with me in the back of the horseshoe. 
Because I like, it's one of the, and then, well, I, also and like then the, I, song, I like the addendum too, where you're like, look, if I, if I had the wisdom I have now, I, yeah, it would have been gay. It's, it was, <laughs> it's like, I'm a fat kid who didn't get a lot of like attention growing up. Here I am. And literally at yeah, that and moment, this is like the new Mick Jagger the the, and, new Mick Jagger, and the new Mick Jagger is like looking at you and going like. I'm so fucking horny. Yeah, and he's wasted. Like he's, I'm not, I'm not fooling myself into thinking like, in other situations, this would have gone down this way. But like, yeah, the sexiest man in the world, in the Western world, at that moment, yeah, was attracted to you. What wanted, like, you know, he, he was game. What game was on? Yeah, and it was like, like now it's like a different thing. But like, yeah, I, so I remember that song. I wonder what would have happened in that moment if you'd have been like. Totally receptive. Yeah, that's why I, I like. I now I wonder that, but you, at the time I was that. like, I don't want to find out how this turns out. Yeah, I'm like this like little like insecure. <laughs> He's like twenty oh. year old kid. Or maybe he just knew that like he maybe he was just fucking with his power situation. Oh, I'm sure he was. And he wanted to see. You, oh, I'm like, sure he was. I'm sure. Was, I'm sure it was like a lot of it. Like, and I didn't freak out. I kept my cool. Yeah, I mean, his boundaries must have been. Yeah, he must. He must have suddenly had like, wow, the world has no boundaries now. Yeah, he, he had. I remember he did hook up with a person who came backstage and she was looking for Charlie. She's like, hey, you know you guys see my friend Charlie? Oh, Charlie Watts? Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, people say that for real? And this is like 15 years ago now. She was looking for a, um, a perfume from the 70s. Yes, that's exactly what she was looking for. I gotta take a piss. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it. Can you yeah, that was great. Stage? She was looking for a perfume from the 70s. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, Stephen, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. On the show. Thank you, Damien. Damien, wait, wait. So I told you, told you last night, you're very engaging. Oh. I really believe in you on many levels, and this is obviously uh, the special talent that oh, you have. Oh, thank you, buddy. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? And, Stephen, this was awesome, doing this again, getting to do it again with you, because it's like, I'm I really... I think we're having the best time. Oh, we're having a fucking amazing yeah, time. Yeah, we're having a really good time. Why don't we do a band or something? I mean, we need to do something. Well, but unfortunately...